Good evening, everyone. I'll call the meeting to order. Uh, roll call, please. Councilmember Duran. Here. Councilmember McReynolds. Here. Councilmember Johnson. Here. Councilmember Halter. Here. Councilmember Campos. Here. Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios. Here. And Mayor Schrader. Here. All members are present. Thank you. I think Councilmember Johnson, you want to lead us in the pledge? Presentations and announcements. Um, the month of February is Black History Month. Every American president since 1976 has designated Black History Month as an annual celebration of the achievements of African Americans and a time for recognizing their central role in U.S. history. We, the city of San Buenaventura, are proud to celebrate Black History Month and call on the people of this great city to honor the history reflect on the contributions, and acknowledge the achievements of black Americans. This year's theme, Black Resistance, explores how African Americans have addressed historic and ongoing oppression. Over the last five years, the city has addressed the oppressions and injustices of black Americans. In 2017, the city adopted a resolution opposing racism and encouraging understanding, equality, and inclusion. In 2020, the city officially declared racism as a public health crisis and condemning police brutality. In 2022, the city adopted the Progress Initiative, which provided a list of commitments to improve equity both within the organization and in the community. We must continue this work, and we are committed to making racial equity and justice a part of what we do today, tomorrow, and every day. Thank you. Um, I have a special introduction for the new CEO from Community Memorial Healthcare. Mike, you want to come up? Zeb Zeblik? Yeah, very good. Was that close? Very, very close, yeah. All right. Uh, Mick Zeblik, pleasure to meet you guys. Uh, I'm here to the community, new to the community, new to the hospital, but not new to healthcare. So I come back with a lot of experience, both in the Midwest, academics, and community healthcare, and very excited to join Community Memorial and really work with uh, this community going forward. Um, I have no ask, so that's unusual. I'm not coming with anything, although I am a pickleball player, so I'm excited for the rest of the agenda. <laughs> Good luck with this meeting today. Uh, so maybe we'll see these folks out on the pickleball court. But uh, uh, Do you also have a pickleball at your seat? I do not. Okay. Uh, no, we, we do play a lot. It's a great sport for my wife and I to play together. But I just wanted to say hello and uh, introduce myself. I have nothing from the hospital to ask for, but just we'll work together as we continue to grow affordable housing for our employees as well as the community. Be very creative on how we can team up with the county health system. I've already met with uh, their heads, and we've agreed to do whatever we can to work together collaboratively on any efforts. Um, and as you know, we're very passionate about community health, basic health, behavioral health, uh, supporting our community. P pleasure meeting the board. Thank you, and thanks uh, for even before you got here, all the community support 
and I know you've got a history that you'll be building on. Thank I'm you. inheriting a great team. All right, thanks, Mike. Thank now I'd like to introduce Natalie Yanez, who is the Southern California Edison Government Relations Manager. Natalie. Thank you, Honorable Mayor, and uh, good evening, Council Members. Many of you I know, uh, some of you I haven't yet to meet, uh, but my name is Natalie Yanez. I'm the Government Relations Manager for Southern California Edison. I joined the team back in September. Um, a little bit about me, I'm a native San Diegan, but been, have been uh, serving Ventura since 2012 when I had the pleasure to work for Joe at Ventura County Credit Union, sorry, mayor, uh, at Ventura County Credit Union and was their director of community partnerships for nearly the last decade uh, before moving over to Southern California Edison. I see Stephanie Caldwell in our attendance today. Uh, I was very involved with the chamber and, and back involved with the chamber in my new role at uh, one time running the Young Professional group here for Ventura. Um, I am a graduate of Channel Islands with my master's. I am an alum of VCLA. I see Patty here with us tonight, uh, cohort 19 for my fellow cohorts out there. And uh, just want to say um, I look forward to working with all of you, working with the city um, and each one of uh, you as council members. And thank you for uh, having me here tonight. Thank you, Natalie. City Council Communications. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Mr. McReynolds. Uh, thank you very much. I uh, just wanted to report out that I had an opportunity to join two of my colleagues, uh, Councilmember Duran and Councilmember Campos at the League of California Cities, New Mayor and Councilmember Academy. Uh, had an opportunity to meet a lot of our fellow colleagues in other jurisdictions and uh, learn a lot about being a council member. So very informative uh, meeting uh, for those three days in Universal City. Um, and then uh, I'm not gonna take everything from this, but uh, Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios and I hosted a meet and greet on Saturday and it was great meeting everybody that we had that came by to say uh, thanks and express some of their uh, comments and concerns, but generally it was very positive. Uh, also attended the Ventura Homeless Prevention Brunch uh, we just had a, a ARC meeting uh, with, uh, again, my uh, new council members, uh, Duran and uh, Campos, and I want to thank everybody who applied, and uh, I'll be joined, uh, doing a port tour uh, with the port district as the new uh, council liaison uh, this Thursday. So looking forward to learning about the port. So thank you. If city council allow me, I skipped over the closed session report from city attorney Hagelin, so I'm going to go back to that, Andy. Thank you, um, Mr. Mayor. Uh, we did have closed session tonight on the items listed on the agenda. Uh, there was no reportable action for items one and two. For items three, item three, the um, public employee appointment, the city council by a vote of seven to zero uh, selected uh, Bob Murray and associates to conduct a recruitment for city manager, full-time city manager. Thank you. Councilmember Halter. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, a couple of things real quick. I wanted to first let people know that uh, two and a half weeks ago, I was in a pretty serious car accident. I think a lot of you knew that. And I wanted to thank all the people that reached out to me and all the witnesses that came forward uh, right after that accident happened. And it was yet one more time in my life where I realized, you know, you wake up in the morning, you make some conscious decisions, you think you're making the right decisions. And going down Figueroa Street and crossing with the light on Thompson uh, out of the corner of my eye, seeing something coming extremely fast towards me, knowing it was a vehicle. 
my normal reaction probably would have been to freeze, was to go into shock. <laughs> but for some reason, I thought, just get the heck out of the way and I hit the gas. And that probably saved my life and saved the life of the people in the other car who uh, went through that stoplight at probably about 60 miles an hour. So it did total my car. I'm here though today and I made it to King Tides a little bit late, but I think I had a big shock look on my face, like why am I here? <laughs> but all that said is never take for granted every single moment and to know that it could be gone in a minute or in an instant. So that was one thing. Secondly, on a brighter note is I had plans to go to Guatemala, which I did uh, a week ago. Uh, uh, with uh, good friends of mine, other Rotarians and other people in the community. Uh, two good friends of ours were getting married down in Guatemala. I will say that has never really been a country that's been on my radar until I've gotten to know uh, a fellow colleague here whose family's from Guatemala. And I will say that's a, that's a trip I would happily take again in the future. We went there, saw great people. I see every opportunity as a chance to meet new people, create relationships, share what we love about Ventura, and I was there with a lot of people from Ventura, so we had a great contingency there. And to also see rotary projects, things like uh, a coffee um, brewing company that's run completely by women, which is very unique in that industry. Uh, and also saw a school that we helped fund and also um, uh, a textile uh, industry uh, uh, company. So very worthwhile trip. Um, unfortunately, though, I had to leave for a week, and so I apologize for that. But made lots of good new friends, good contacts, and shared the how great Ventura is and invited people to come here and enjoy what we love so much and share uh, in all the things that we, uh, we enjoy every day of the week here. So thank you for that. Uh, Council Member Campos. Is there a slide? So I want to call out to the community, not just here but at home, to all the young skateboarders um, that the West Park, can you put the slide back if possible? The West Park Skate Park community meeting will take place Wednesday the 15th at, I think it's 6.30 p.m. I wrote 6 p.m. But it's very important that the community who uses the skate park comes out to give their input. You can follow it at www.westparkskatepark.com. That'll list all community meetings and pretty quickly should have the video of the upcoming meeting. I wanna thank, say thank you to the 40 community members who clean graffiti, trash, and, and the gutters along Ventura Avenue on Saturday and ran Laundry Love. Um, the avenue was sparkling, and a lot of those community members are here tonight, so sincerely we thank you. Second Saturday in March, March 4th, we'll have a neighborhood cleanup with dumpsters set up at 71 Bell Way, so District 1 can bring everything you have between 8 a.m. and noon. I'll be available to meet with anyone interested at the Simpson Street ent entrance door of the Avenue Library on Sundays from 3 to 6 p.m. And happy Valentine's Day to everyone here tomorrow. Councilmember Duran. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I have uh, just a few things. 
I wanted to share um, a happy birthday to my wife tonight, who is at home watching the council meeting. So that's number one. Number two, the uh, training that uh, Mr. McReynolds was talking about was uh, incredible. Uh, I, I think one of the highlights for me was not all the information that we learned, but being able to meet all the different city, new city council members throughout the county of Ventura. Um, it was just a, a wonderful time to get to meet everybody and to see their heart for collaboration. So I, I think it's very exciting to know that we have people in the county that would like to collaborate with one another to get some things done. And lastly, I'd like to close tonight's meeting in honor of Pastor Roger Nolan. He was um, the pastor of Montalvo Foursquare Church and then eventually East Ventura Foursquare Church when I uh, became a member there back in 1993. And uh, it became the well, and today it's the lighthouse in Montalvo. And uh, it's where we actually hold our Montalvo Community Council meetings, is in that church called the lighthouse. He was my very first pastor, and he passed away on February 1st. He was 94 years old. So thank you. So Member Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. Could we bring my slide up, please? Uh, actually, first, I, I would just like to make a personal announcement, which... Or a couple things. I, I want to follow up with what Councilmember Halter said because I walked by him that morning and I saw him on the phone and I, I thought he was just going to the tides walk and I saw a car that had run into something clearly and it was a mother and I could see her two kids and it didn't, I didn't think much about it until I realized Councilmember Halter was late. Um, it, it, and, and I've shared this with him, it, it, that I could just walk through it and everybody was okay and it wasn't a big deal when you think about you know just a split second difference, it could have been a very different outcome. So it was a very humbling experience for me just, just by extension. Um, a little personal news, I, I want to announce that my wife and I adopted a puppy. This will come up <laughs> on the slides. Um, but I also would like to extend my condolences to Councilmember Campos on the loss of her longtime companion and pet princess. Um, dogs mean so much. Okay, so, so we here have a list of our community events, and you know, having a puppy, um, she's too young to meet other dogs, but we really do want her to meet lots of people. Whatever the opposite of a guard dog is, is what we hope she will be. So I will be trying to bring her to the community events, but she is eight weeks and three days, and so it will be up to the puppy. But tomorrow, I will be at Pete's Coffee on Victoria at 3 p.m. They have some outdoor seating, so I would like to bring the puppy, and if you want to come talk about city stuff, that's a good place. If you just want to come and meet the puppy, that would be nice, too. On Monday, the 20th, that's a week from tonight, from 7 to 8.30 p.m., I will be at Rincon Brewery. I will not bring the puppy because it is a very dog-friendly establishment, so I have to be careful about making sure she's not exposed to anything. On Wednesday, February 22nd, I will not be able to attend. From 7 to 9 p.m., the College Area Community Council will have its monthly meeting on Zoom. You can visit caccventura.com for the agenda and the link. On Saturday, the 25th, from 8 to noon, the College Area Community Council is holding a community gleaning at the college parking lot at Telegraph in Claremont. I will be there from 8 to 9 with the puppy. Uh, I'll explain a little bit more about what this is. And then on Tuesday, the 28th, at 6 p.m., Snapper Jack's on Telegraph. Could we go to the next slide, please? 
So this is what the community gleaning is that the College Area Community Council is putting on. Everybody has a garden and fruit trees and vegetables, it seems like. And if you've got extra produce, fruits, vegetables, or whatever, just bring it by to the community gleaning on Saturday the 25th. It will be open from 8 to noon. The College Area Community Council is putting this on with support from Food Forward. So if you've got, like me, if you've got fruit trees and you don't know what to do with all those guavas, this is, this is an opportunity. Can we go to the next slide, please? Thank you. I, I wanted to thank a couple groups and people for some of the good things that have happened in the last few weeks. I want to thank CAUSE and city staff for putting together a great water and community resilience workshop at Bell Arts. Uh, it was huge turnout, and both in English and in Spanish. There was probably a bigger crowd at the, at the Spanish language area. It was great to see so many city staff there, Gina Dorrington from Ventura Water, Joe Yonner from Environmental Services, Netta Zayer from Community Development, Mac Douglas, our emergency services manager. I wanna thank the Montalvo Community Council. I had the pleasure of attending their last meeting and I, and I wanted to thank them for bringing in a representative from the New Hope Recovery Home, uh, which uh, people have been asking about. And on the 11th, on Saturday, I wanna thank everybody who attended the Share the Love fundraiser held by the Ventura Homeless Prevention Fund. It was a heck of a turnout. I was glad to see my colleague, Mr. McReynolds, there at, the, um, there at the fundraiser, the Homeless Prevention Fund. What they do, they, they work with people who are facing a, a financial emergency, who are in trouble of uh, getting kicked out because they can't pay their rent. And so they, they work to tide them over for a month. And for so many, so many people, just that helping hand for just a month prevents them from uh, spiraling downward in a cycle of poverty. And so it is a great cause. And last, Mayor, I would ask that we close tonight in memory of Sharon Harrison. I'm sure the Harrison name is very familiar to everybody in the city of Ventura. Um, she survived by her husband, Myron, and lots and lots of Harrisons. And, and they have been such an important force in our community for so long. And, and we are all grieving her loss. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Um, just a couple for me, um, with, along with a city manager, I had um, adult beverages with uh, executives from the X Games, and then had breakfast with them the next day. Mr. Alakan will go into more details. Ventura is one of two of the final cities uh, that they're looking at to place the X Games this summer. And they would do that, I think, at the fairgrounds, and they're looking at a couple other locations. That would be huge for us. So on um, kind of mixed blessing, I went over to Buena Golf Course. Uh, it is in a lot better shape than it was two days after all the rain. Uh, but we still, it looks better. There's some grass on it now. Before, there was nothing but mud and water. You can tell it's a golf course, although I don't remember that much water, that many water holes if you're a golfer um, on that course. And so we still have to do some work on that to determine if the upper root system on the greens is still healthy, then we can bring the greens back, but it's gonna take us months to do that. So, um, Mr. Ellicott, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, Mayor, I, I, I apologize. I think I, 
I uh, had one more slide. Is that correct? I try to keep them to three, but um, I apologize. I thank you for your indulgence on this. It's not the most important slide. Uh, <laughs> you know, we used to do these uh, external committee report outs at the end of the meeting, and now we do them at the beginning. I just wanted to report a couple of these that I think are of particular interest to the city. Uh, I have the honor of serving as this council's liaison to the fair board. It is not a voting position. But the Pacific Sports Group will make a detailed presentation on Wednesday, February 22nd at 5.30 p.m. at the Santa Rosa Hall at the fairgrounds. I will be there. That's why I cannot attend the College Area Community Council meeting that night. Uh, the Ventura County Transportation Commission, um, VCTC is exploring working with the county IT on middle mile fiber broadband along the Santa Paula branch line. That is, of course, um, where the Fillmore Western train used to go. Um, there has been a lot of money out there for, for fiber optics. And so being able to do this would, would make it a lot cheaper than trying to run along a freeway or a busy street. Also from VCTC, I have the honor of being appointed to the seat that was filled by Carmen Ramirez on CalCog. Uh, that is the California Council of Governments. Uh, and it's, it's quite an honor. And I didn't put this on this because I can't take credit for it. But VCTC did award the city of Ventura $6.7 million for a bike path, four miles of a bike path along that Santa Paula branch line. The intention, of course, is to have really a bike path along the old railroad that extends all the way through the county, and that will be a tremendous asset. Again, I can't take any credit for this. Um, all the credit for that goes to our staff who put together an amazing application a lot of hard work to get that money, and it's gonna be a beautiful project. I have the honor of serving as our council's representative on the Ventura Council of Governments, and we, had our, we have a meeting every other month at our last meeting. Um, VCOG is encouraging all the cities to work with the county on that middle mile fiber broadband. And last and important note about Gold Coast Transit. I serve on the board of Gold Coast uh, the number six buses, the ones that run along Telegraph and up the avenue, the most popular bus that we have in Ventura, it's, it's not publicized. But because of all the extra use, there are extra buses running on it during peak hours. They don't have special times. They just throw an extra bus on the grid um, because that line is getting to the point sometimes where not everybody can get on the bus. It's standing room only. Um, and that goes along with this. The Youth Ride Free program is incredibly accessible. Anybody under the age of 18 can get on any public transit system anywhere in the county for free. It's incredibly successful. But parents must help their children know what's inappropriate or illegal on a bus. Um, it's not a school bus. As a, as a board member of Gold Coast, I'm not keen on a bus driver having to kick somebody off or call the police. Um, but there are certain rules of respect and there are laws that, that, that everybody has to follow. So please, if, you're, if your child is riding the bus, make sure they understand the rules. And if they're not riding the bus, I hope you encourage them to do so uh, despite my warning that they might be kicked off or arrested if they do something terrible. Thank you, Mayor, for letting me go to that fourth slide. I apologize for uh, my error. Mr. Alicante. 
Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I got a few announcements tonight as the clerk pulls up uh, the PowerPoint slide. I'll start kind of where you left off with the X Games. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, as you mentioned, several department heads and I, uh, along with yourself, uh, welcomed the X Games leadership uh, this past Monday night. Uh, what I think is interesting about their new model versus what they were proposing close to four years ago, the last time that they were in town, um, their, their old format was more of a, a stadium event. This new one is really a community activation. Of course, the fairgrounds would be a major player in that. Um, but what they're looking for is being able to hold events throughout the city, not just in one location, which I found very exciting because I feel that uh, Ventura uh, has a lot to offer uh, in terms of activating park areas, theaters, restaurants, uh, Main Street moves. There's no shortage of opportunities for the X Games. So we hope for good news later this month. We'll find out, uh, crossing my fingers, and I'll report back to the council and the community uh, as soon as we hear word. Uh, regarding the FEMA declaration after the storm events earlier in January, uh, we did get, uh, finally, we got a declaration on January 30th from FEMA that Ventura County was included in that designation. Uh, I want to thank the Congressman Salute Carbajal's office for uh, being instrumental in getting that uh, designation extended to Ventura County. There is individual assistance available to residents to help uh, cover the repair and cleanup costs. You can visit vcemergency.com to see if you're eligible if you've incurred damage uh, from the storm. On February 23rd, we have Coffee with a Cop. If you've never been before, I highly encourage you to attend. Uh, this one will be on Thursday, uh, the 23rd, from 8 to 10 a.m. at Cafe Facel. Um, even if you don't uh, want to talk to us, there will be Asher, our therapy dog. I'm sure he'll be there, and if you haven't met him, uh, you'll understand why I'm mentioning Asher, because he's, he's a hit everywhere he goes. Um, West Park Skate Park, and uh, Councilmember Campos alluded to this earlier, that'll be this Wednesday night at 6.30. Um, I apologize for the typo on the slide. That should be February 15th, this Wednesday at 6.30. The next item, uh, the La Quinta Inn project. Uh, Ten days ago, I submitted a letter of interest to the county CEO's office regarding uh, the housing authority's potential acquisition of the La Quinta Inn for permanent supportive housing units. Uh, this is just a letter of interest. It does not obligate the city to anything at this point. That, of course, is a council decision. That would come back in front of you at a later date. Um, but we were uh, under a timely um, request to get something in. Rather than myself talk about it, I've asked Leona Rollins, our housing services manager, to come up and just give a short synopsis of what that project is and uh, share information that we have to date. Good evening, Honorable Mayor, City Council members. So as um, Mr. Alicon mentioned, we will be strongly supporting the Housing Authority and their plan to bring forth permanent supportive housing for homeless, chronically homeless, and individuals at risk of homelessness at the La Quinta Inn on Valentine Road. It will include 138 um, permanent supportive housing units, two on-site manager's unit, and will also provide wraparound services. Um, for all the individuals residing at the property. This will be a local match that will be contributing to the Housing Authority um, in, pro in preparation for their project home key application, which will be available very shortly. So we're very excited about this opportunity uh, to support the Housing Authority, and we're looking forward to bringing these additional units online for our most vulnerable community members. Thank you. Thank you, Leona. I want to mention just one other thing, Mr. Mayor, if I may, um, on a different topic, going back to the West Park uh, Design Workshop on Wednesday night. There will be live Spanish interpretation services available. So uh, for Spanish-only speakers, I, I want to make that uh, absolutely clear that they'll have a chance to participate. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, public communications, uh, Mr. City Clerk. 
Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have 20 speaker cards submitted this evening for public communications. Our first speaker this evening is going to be John Herriter, and John will be followed by Doreen Cowart. Uh, hi, good evening, Ventura City Council. My name is John Herriter. I've lived in Ventura 31 years, raised three kids, and have a grandchild in Ventura. I'm here today to talk about pickleball in Ventura and the need for permanent designated courts. Our city needs to catch up with our neighboring cities and provide permanent pickleball courts to, in order to manage the demand. You're probably aware of pickleball and its growth. It's been stated that pickleball is the fastest growing sport. Uh, lately, it's background of TV commercials. It's here to stay. Pickleball has been growing in Ventura. We started playing uh, in 2016 at Harry Lyon Park on the west and Juana Maria Park on the east. We've been working with the Parks and Rec Department and the Parks and Rec Commission. In 2016, the Parks and Rec Department painted pickleball court lines at both parks. So there's a total of 10 pickleball courts. We set up portable nets that are kept in storage boxes and we have open play times. Four sessions at Harry Lyon in a week and two sessions at Juana Maria. Uh, they're in the rec guide. Uh, new people come all the time, and out-of-town pickleball players come find us. Sounds great, but it's overflowing. The open play are full. Um, on a Saturday, all six courts are going. That's 24 people playing, with another 20 are waiting. There's 300 names on our email list. There's 620 following our pickleball Facebook page. And we know that there's many people playing that aren't on the email list that don't come to the open play. They set up their nets at Wanamaria Park, um, with four or so, and, and then um, each weekday, Wanamaria Park is full. A fifth group might come and with no place to play. Harry Lyon is not available weekday mornings because it's a De Anza Middle School when, when school is in session. Uh, Ventura Parks and Rec Department is, has, is agreement with this that there truly is a need. Uh, when it's built, it will be used. The following nearby cities all have permanent pickleball courts. Camarillo, Ojai, Port Wainimi, Santa Barbara, Thousand Oaks, Simi Valley, and Moore Park. The undeveloped Kimball Park is an ideal location. Adding pickleball courts at El Camino Park has also been discussed. The, the, pick, the Parks and Rec Department states that the obst obstacle is a lack of funding. The current five-year capital improvement plan includes just four projects that are funded. There's 22 projects on the list with um, waiting for funds not to be built in the next five years. Permanent designated pickleball courts are not necessarily on that list. Uh, the pickleball courts of Ventura, the pickleball players of Ventura request that city find a way uh, for funding um, for construction of permanent pickleball courts. Thank you. Our next speaker. So, uh, Mr. City Clerk, you want to, so, I really appreciate your enthusiasm, um, but if we could show respect for everybody here and um, by not loud applause, if you want to shake your hands in the air, um, that would probably make the meeting go a little bit better. We, now, you don't need to throw the pickleballs at me either. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. Our next speaker is Doreen Cower. Doreen is followed by Suzanne McCombs. Good evening, Mayor and City Council members. My name is Doreen Cowart, and I'm um, here with my 99-year-old mother, Doris Cowart. We have lived in Ventura for over 71 years. This is my first time speaking to the City Council in seven decades, so why am I here now? I'm here to speak about pickleball, but before I go any farther, I need to put on my reading glasses. 
<laughs> oh, I'm seeing a lot of spots. It looks like spotted fever. Oh, no, it's not spotted fever. It's pickleball fever, and a lot of people have it. Um, and more and more people are getting it across the country. So what is the remedy for this fever? It is to build more pickleball facilities in the city of Ventura for the health and well-being of our citizens. One person told me that the city council has much more important things on their agenda than pickleball. But is there really anything more important than the health of our planet, our bodies, our families, and our friends? No. Health is the most important part of our lives. I once heard a physician say if he could write one prescription, it would be for exercise. After teaching health and physical education for 22 years, I agree. We now know that exercise improves the physical, mental, and social well-being of people. My 99-year-old mother is living proof that exercise is one of the key components to a long and healthy life. Last year, she hit pickleballs at the age of 98. The City of Ventura's Parks and Recreation Department has done an incredible job promoting health and exercise. The booklet that was mailed to every home includes so many activities for people to choose from. The one sport that needs more help is pickleball. There are 18 classes offered, which is wonderful, but that creates so many new people that want to play and there aren't enough facilities. We're in a pickle. A lot of people that appear before the council are asking for more money for their cause. After the initial cost of building pickleball courts, the maintenance and upkeep is minimal compared to pools and athletic fields. This city could be the pickleball capital of the world because of its incredible weather and seaside location. Instead, we have people leaving our city to go play at better facilities. It really is a good investment that brings people and their money to our city. Please increase funding to the Parks and Recreation Department. Finally, in closing, I'd like to leave the council with this inspirational message. Pickleball is a very spirited game. The balls are holy. We have large masses of people. The net is low, but the spirits are high. A men's, a women's, a game for all ages. I hope you'll come out and join us for a game. You'll have a ball. Thank you. Suzanne McCombs, followed by Patty Braga. Good evening, Mayor and City Council. My name's Suzanne McCombs. I'm a 25-year resident of Ventura and a local business owner. I also own and operate a short-term rental in the Pierpont neighborhood. The Pierpont area has been a vacation destination for more than 75 years. Um, Mr. McDonald, if you could share the slides, please. Thank you. In a second, you'll see a sample of vacation rental advertisements from the Ventura County Star from 1947 through 1960, indicating that yes, vacation rentals have been in Ventura for more than 75 years. Housing in the beach area has always had a high percentage of second homes. Many of these homes remain unoccupied throughout most of the year. Many second homes are owned by families that reside in other areas of California and out of state. Arguably, Pierpont is the most expensive part of our city where a small bungalow may sell for more than a million dollars and newer, larger homes sell for three to four million. Residential areas with close proximity to the beach are not considered affordable in any California community. Ventura's population has grown over the past 10 years to approximately 111,000, according to the most recent U.S. Census. Our housing supply within the city has not kept pace with this growth. 
Over the past 10 years, total housing supply has only increased 7.2% compared to population growth of more than 9%. We have an affordable housing crisis throughout California, and that is evident in Ventura as well. But short-term rentals are not the cause of this problem. Short-term rentals comprise less than one-half of 1% 1 of the total housing supply in the city of Ventura. Within Pierpont, short-term rentals comprise less than 10% of the total housing units. I would ask that we focus our time on enforcement of the existing ordinance before committing scarce city resources to a revision. And second, I would ask that you pull agenda item three from the consent agenda. According to the staff report, the planning commissioner is appointed, uh, one planning commissioner is being replaced by Mayor Schroeder because appointed commissioners serve at the pleasure of their appointing council member, which is within the guidelines of the ordinance. What is troubling to me is why the position was not posted as available when recruitment opened November of 22 for the four positions related to the newly elected council members. I've known Mr. McCarthy for more than a decade. He's a man of integrity with commitment to fair and equitable decisions who cares deeply about the city of Ventura. Surely a dedicated volunteer is entitled to at least an explanation for why he's being replaced. At a minimum, Public notice should have been provided that Mayor Schroeder intended to seek alternative applicants for the position so that members of the public would have known that the position was available for applications. The approach taken here to replace an appointed planning commissioner with no notice or explanation troubles me and does not seem to fall within the standard of open and transparent governments to which we are entitled as citizens. Thank you. And if I may, we are on non-agenda public communications right now, meaning uh, an item that is not on our city council agenda this evening. If you have comments on a specific agenda item, please wait until that item is called. Our next speaker is Patty Braga, followed by Casey Rodriguez. Good evening, Mayor Schrader and council members. My name is Patty Braga. I am the executive director of Ventura County Leadership Academy. Our mission and purpose is to connect issues and people to strengthen our county. Each year, we take 35 to 40 leaders through a 10-month educational relationship building program. These leaders come from the business, education, nonprofit, and public sectors, both East County and West, including, including seasoned leaders and emerging leaders with a wide variety of backgrounds, experiences, and points of view. They hear from subject matter experts on all the issues impacting our community and come together to be a part of the solution. We are now in our 28th year and many of our 675 alumni sit on not-for-profit boards, organize community events, and serve as elected representatives on city councils, school boards, and a host of other commissions throughout the county. I'm here today to share with you the names of the honorees for our upcoming Journey to Leadership Awards Luncheon. This annual event celebrates local leaders who represent the best of Ventura County. They are our Business Leader of the Year, Bruce Densley, CEO and President of the Economic Development Collaborative, Educational Leader of the Year, Dr. Julius Sokanu, who is the President at Moorpark College, not-for-profit leader of the year, Elena Brokaw, executive director for the Museum of Ventura County, public sector leader of the year, Scott Whitney, chief investigator for the Ventura County District Attorney's Office, alumna of the year, Amanda Fagan. She is the director of planning and sustainability for the Ventura County Transportation Commission. 
And our Founders Award honoree is Herbert Gooch. He's a professor emeritus of political science at Calu. I hope you will be able to join us Thursday, April 27th to help us honor and celebrate those who give so much to our community. And finally, I left pickleball. Casey Rodriguez, followed by Dan Phillips. Okay, Mr. Halter. Sincerely, it's nice to see you here today. However, it is truly sad that the hope in our new city council is quickly diminishing. This council could very well already be heading into unethical violations. Some council members are sitting on committees that they have personal or financial interest in. Definitely not the smartest move, not a great way to build the city's trust in the new council. Some council members have the desire to do underground wiring. This would cost millions of our tax dollars, and this would prevent any future, this, due to any future maintenance work for Edison, this would prevent planting any trees in those areas. For Ventura to have clean air, we must grow more trees, not stop it. Purposely denying any planting of trees should be criminal. We must think of our climate first. With thoughts on limiting public speaking time is total disrespect. This won't lead to democracy, but to dictatorship. You should be embarrassed to think we citizens will be okay with it. We are not, and we will do what's needed to get our voices heard. Remember, you're supposed to be working for us, not against us. Thinking of counseling Spanish translations is also a poor thought. Maybe you guys should start sending out agendas in Spanish. That way, Spanish-only residents will know ahead of time what is on the agenda. One can't simply say something doesn't work if they are not reaching the people effectively. And so what if only one Spanish speaker does show up? Whose right is it to say that one voice won't lead to changes for all of us in the future? To the pickleball guys, you guys have truly given me pickleball fever. I almost want to come and join you guys. I mean, how can you not? This, like, this is like a lot of fun. This actually has some like, energy tonight at a city meeting. It's great. And lastly, to all the Aiden voters, I am so incredibly grateful to know that you guys have voted me to be the executive board member of the Democratic Party of the state. For those who have voted for me, thank you so very much. Just a reminder to our speakers to address the council as a whole, not individual council members. Our next speaker is Dan Phillips, followed by Maria Davalos. Good evening, uh, Mr. Mayor and council members. Uh, my name is Dan Phillips. I'm a Ventura resident and pickleball player. I am a member of the um, senior meetup group that um, does several activities. We go to movies, social events, hike, um, take um, kayaking, biking, such as that. But the main thing, or one of the things we do, and I mostly get involved in, is playing pickleball twice a week. Um, so anyway, our, our membership is up over 50 members, and, uh, and so we get pretty good turnout on the days that we do play. Take you on a quick journey into my uh, introduction to pickleball. I got the Parks and Rec catalog, not knowing much about pickleball at all, and uh, got with my wife, and we thought that would be interesting, so we signed up for lessons. The lessons were probably two months out from the time we signed up and thought we'd like to get an introduction to that. So I went to the city site uh, website and into Parks and Rec 
and saw that uh, they had pickleball courts at Water Maria and over, the, the, over by De Anza. So uh, we packed up our newly purchased paddles and bottle, uh, balls and went over to uh, Juana Maria Park. And uh, after looking at the website, there's a beautiful picture of this wonderful designated court on the website um, that shows that it's all a designated court with a permanent net. And uh, we walked over to the tennis courts and there's people there and say, where are the pickleball courts? And they said, well, you're, you're standing on them. And it's sort of like, well, where's the nets? Oh, well, you have to bring your own nets if you, if you want to play pickleball here. But you're welcome to play with us. And that was my introduction to this meetup group that uh, I started with about a year ago. Um, we play um, on uh, Mondays and Thursdays midday because we've picked that time as being one that the courts should be less used. We played today. Uh, we got the last court available. Last week we played. We probably had to wait 30 minutes to actually get a court. Um, I can imagine on a weekend times like that, it's probably almost impossible to get on the courts. Um, as my game has improved, I'm looking for better courts. Ventura does not have them. I have not found this court that is on your website, so it's uh, this sort of elusive court. But if we want to play pickleball on a court that's designated with lines that aren't confusing, with nets that don't blow over in the wind, we need to travel to Port Wainimi, Camarillo, Ojai, places like that. So um, the request is that uh, we get additional courts. I'm sure somebody will address also the condition of the courts that we are currently playing on. So thank you for listening. Our next speaker is Maria Davalos, followed by Barbara Dreyfus. I believe Maria has requested interpretation services. Okay. Uh, sí. uh, I am Maria Davalos. I am the founder an administrator of Manos Unidas, United Hands. And I serve in the board of directors of OSCC. And as a member of this community, that is Spanish speakers, I am addressing you. And I am requesting that the translation program Just a moment. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. So I am addressing you, asking you that the translation program into Spanish at city meetings becomes permanent and take our community into consideration so that they can understand and know the changes, know the plans that the city plans to have which either affect or benefit our community. Thank you. 
Gracias. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Barbara Dreyfus, followed by Eric Burton. Okay. Good evening, representatives of the City Council and Councilmen. Um, my name is Barbara, and I live at a 96-unit apartment complex in zip code 93003. Uh, I understand that uh, the Council has most likely received other requests similar to mine. I'd like to see a rent ordinance cap received and debated with the city council. I live in a complex that was built in 1963, and most recently, when I moved here from, Cal uh, from Los Angeles, uh, I moved here in 2014. I love where I live. I love Ventura, and I came up here because part of my family is here. So what I'd like to see happen is that there is an active debate and rational realizations to imposing a rent ordinance cap. I know similar cities here in California have done so, and I think it's time that all of the renters not just seniors, have the opportunity to affordable housing. And when I come next time to hear this debated, I'll bring a lot of my fellow residents and neighbors with me. Thank you. Our next speaker is Eric Burton, followed by Camille Scott. <clears throat> I didn't bring this Motley crew here, by the way. My name is Eric Burton. I'm a 37-year uh, resident and a 35-and-a-half-year employee of the city of Ventura, just recently retired. Hi, you guys. Um, I'm here to talk about pickleball. Um, back in 2019, when the, in the middle of the pandemic, <clears throat> I started playing pickleball because there wasn't anything else to do. Um, there was golf, there was tennis, and there was pickleball. Um, I thought that I would never play anything other than basketball. Um, however, pickleball has kind of taken over my life. I even went and bought uh, some bright yellow pickleball shoes just the other day from Pickleball Central. So I'm invested in the game. <clears throat> uh, but for, the thir uh, for 35 years, I've been privileged to be um, a staff here. And one of my duties was to make sure that there was pickleball going on. Uh, along with golf courses. Uh, I was in charge of golf courses for about 12 years. Um, and what we're seeing is, as you've heard, uh, an expansion in the need for pickleball. So from my point of view, what we did was we just started offering more classes. Well, you offer more classes, more people get involved, and then you have more people out of the pickleball courts. Um, I, wanna, I wanna thank the Parks and Recreation staff uh, Nancy, Stacy, Janine, and Tyler, they've done an incredible job of putting something together so that people feel welcome coming to our community and playing pickleball. But obviously there's just not enough courts. Um, I'd like to give you just a couple of other solutions. I know everybody wants permanent courts. I want permanent courts. 
but I know that the city probably doesn't have the money for permanent courts. So here's, here's a couple other solutions. <clears throat> Seek ways to utilize existing city facilities to accommodate pickleball. For example, simply painting lines on all existing bas basketball courts and tennis courts so that they can become multi-purpose facilities. That's, that's, an easy, that's an easy fix. Um, another fix that's maybe not so easy is to develop an agreement with the Unified School District and say, hey, listen, the city's partnering with you on a lot of other things. Maybe you can you know, paint pickle, pickleball lines on your courts and then open those up to the public. Since 2019, the Unified School District's courts have been locked down <laughs> so, it, you know, what happened was we had this pandemic, they lock everything down. Now the pandemic is basically over and no one can get on those courts unless they pay, you know, $80 an hour or whatever it is that they're charging uh, for those courts. So with the growth of pickleball and the limited funds available for uh, CIP projects, we feel it's important to develop a plan that is cost effective yet meets the needs of the community. Thank you for your time. Our next speaker is Camille Scott, followed by Suzanne Patterson. Um, my comment is really sobering. Um, I live on San Clemente Street, and two months ago, a little over two months ago, um, one of our neighbors was fatally hit on Ocean Avenue. This is um, his wife, and I'm just here to support her because she also wanted to address the council about safety on Ocean Street. And I wanted to address the councilor about um, safety citywide. There has been an influx of vertical building here in Ventura. I've, I feel like it happened too fast. I feel like the driving culture has really changed here. And people are too hasty. They're in a hurry to get from A to B. I don't know if they're busy to get to work. I don't know what their concerns are. However, um, the haste is uh, what causes the problem and we even heard from a couple council members today ironically about something that happened mm -hmm. and I just think a campaign to help people slow down citywide something friendly something palatable I don't know snails in love crossing the street or driving but ever since they built the freeway um, our community has a, a, a wound that has not healed and pedestrians and bikes don't really have a safe way to get from one side of the freeway to, to our beaches. It's really only our Pierpont neighbors that have safe access to the beach. And we deserve not just a tiny little skinny cage to get over to the street in single file. We deserve broad, generous pathways to the beach where we can go hand in hand and side by side with our bicycles, with our dogs, with our children on skateboards to get to the beach. Um, there's only five ways to get there. The main way is seaward. I, I dare any one of you to walk down seaward from Thompson to the beach. 
you will be taking your life in your own hands. Um, my father taught me how to play billiards. Why am I bringing this up? Because he said, when you're learning, you should try to hit the ball slowly. If you try to be a hot shot and hit it hard, you're going to come far away from the next sh shot. And this is the same with speeding in cars. If, if people drive more slowly and they do, heaven forbid, make a mistake, uh, the damage will be minimal and it could save lives. So um, that's all I have to say, but I'm going to stand here yeah. with her. Um, good evening. My husband and I have been coming here for about six years, mainly to help our daughter and her son-in-law and my two grandchildren because they are diligent, very hardworking doctors at VCMC uh, and various other hospitals. It's in VCMC that um, my daughter has seen since December because of a new ruling allowing pedestrians to cross at any intersection and having the right of way. Um, and drivers apparently don't know this, and having found that out, they couldn't understand why since December, the amount of trauma that has been in their hospital of pedestrians was just incredible. And what was it? It was this new ruling that allows pedestrians to cross and have the right of way. But the drivers don't know this. And we moved here on a quiet, beautiful street, San Clemente, not knowing that right at the corner of Ocean Avenue, not a stop sign exists, allowing for people in a hurry to get to work, as this case was December 7th at 7.55 in the morning. My husband steps off the curb three-quarters of the way to the east, to the eastern side, eastbound side of traffic. 4.3 seconds he had to get to the curb. He didn't make it. The driver was going, calculated 33 miles an hour, but that's with having passed over two speed bumps. Why did he choose that path? Because he was 20 minutes late for work. He had to get to Ventura Boulevard and lived on uh, a street maybe four blocks away. So when he hit my husband, it was five to eight. Probably had to be at work at eight. My husband didn't know, I mean, absolutely, he looked to the right and left. You look to the right, two blocks down South Catalina. He came down South, South Catalina, make, made a right on ocean, and sped to the point where he couldn't see. The sun was in his eyes. He's going above speed limit. The sun's in your eyes. Go below speed limit, okay? A speed bump. You know, there are, in, there are curb, there are little streets. This is a neighborhood. There, there could be a pedestrian in every one of those corners, somebody crossing the street with their children in, in tow, somebody on a bicycle right off seaward. You come onto ocean, they say it's a bike path. How is that a bike path? There's no bike lane. There's no stop signs. It's a speedway. It's a way to get to work faster, go faster, parallel to Thompson, parallel to San Nicolas, parallel to Main Street, where the unloading children going to and from school. You have boys or girls who take, sorry. But, but the point is, Ocean Avenue needs to have stop signs. The speed bumps are a burp. They mean nothing. I stood and watched. They mean nothing to slow down anybody. 33 instead of 25, 
cannot see the hand in front of your face, manslaughter, absolute manslaughter. And I lived in New York all my life, my husband all our life, we never had this. We have speed cameras in our local streets now, 25 miles an hour. Thank you, you Mrs. Patterson. Over, you get a ticket. We need stop signs and we need the intersection of Jordan and Ocean with a four-way stop sign. Our next speaker is Terrence Foley, followed by Fabiola Rodriguez. Michael, can I please get my slide there? Good evening, everybody. I'm Terry Foley speaking on behalf of the Pierpont Bay Community Council. And Here to thank the City Council at the goal setting meeting on January 28th for making the uh, update to the short-term vacation rental ordinance a, an official city goal. So we wanna say thank you very much. It's long, long travel to get here, but thank you for making that happen. I, I, uh, if we can get the next slide, please. The update to, to, the, uh, to the ordinance, there's, there's many cities on the California coast that are updating their ordinances now, and just about every city in Colorado, if you go on the internet, there's just every, everybody's looking at it and saying, how can we make the, the ordinances better? This is a, if the, a slide showing Pacific Grove and shows the, uh, shows the Monterey Bay uh, Aquarium there in the lower right. And just that they're, they're looking at their policy and they're saying, what they're going to do in the coastal zone versus in the non-coastal zone. And you know, just ideas that are coming across now that people can incorporate into their ordinance. Next slide, please, Michael. This is uh, from the city of Dana Point and, and the plans that they have, just innovative ideas to, to, uh, you know, to update their ordinance. It is just, just to say it can be done. It hasn't been done here, but it can be done. Next slide, please. This was a this was a uh, a posting on the city website, an unfortunate posting that I'm not sure how it got there, and nobody seems to know how it got there. But um, that apparently the moratorium for it, the short-term rentals in September, as of September 12, 2022, what didn't follow the proper co protocols for the city, in as much as it didn't have the vote of the city council before that decision was made, so. That didn't, that lasted about two weeks and that, that didn't, so that did not work. Uh, next slide, please. But if we look at what the city of Pismo Beach has done here, they've, they've adopted, they, they went to the city council, they adopted an urgency ordinance, and they said, well, we're going to suspend the new, the, the issuance of new permits until we get our current ordinance straightened out, which is pretty simple. So it can be done. That's what we're looking forward to. Uh, we, uh, Pierpont Bay Community Council especially wants to thank 
Council Member Bill McReynolds for pushing this over the starting line. Thank you very much. And we look forward to working with the city, uh, with the legal, with the city manager, and with the city council. Thank you. Our next speaker is Fabiola Rodriguez, followed by Elvira Alvarez. Good evening. I am participating here this evening to ask you to stop wishing to remove the Spanish translation in meetings and marketing. Many people from our community, it is true, they do not come. But I belong to a group of Manos Unidas, United Hands, and those of us that are able to, we record it. And we share the information amongst ourselves. So we are aware of what is happening in our communities. So I'm asking you kindly, please take into consideration not to do this, because when you bring it up to YouTube, several of us Latin people, nos gusta enterarnos de lo que está pasando. We like to find out what's going on en nuestra comunidad. In our communities. Eh, estaba escuchando que estaban pidiendo a um, las personas de Picapo. I heard that the people were asking for the pickleball. No sé si sea prudente lo que voy a decir. I don't know if it would be opportune for me to say this. Pero en nuestro grupo Manos Unidas. But in our group, Manos Unidas, United Hands, estamos pensando ya hace dos años atrás, Liz Campo es testiga testiga de eso. And Liz Campo is a witness to this. De una alberca. We'd like to have a pool. Y un centro de ayuda para los jóvenes y ancianos. And a youth and elderly center. And unos juegos. We'd like to have games, asesoría. We would like some counseling, y motivación, and something motivational, para que nuestros hijos, en este caso yo nietos, so our children, in my case, my grandchildren, because now my children are grown, puedan tener unas aspiraciones, puedan tener unas aspiraciones y llegar a metas. Could aspire to other things and bigger goals. De las que sus padres o sus abuelos tuvieron. More so than parents and their grandparents had. Y para eso necesitamos como comunidad latina estar informados de lo que está pasando. For that, we, the Latin community, need to be informed of what is going on. 
Y pues desafortunadamente no muchos hablamos inglés. Unfortunately, not many of us speak English. Por eso es que necesitamos nuestra traducción. That's why we need our translation into Spanish. Y marketing. And marketing. Thank you so much. Very appreciated. Our next speaker is Elvira Alvarez, followed by Andrea Nava. Good evening. My name is Elvia Alvarez. Good evening. I've been living here for 36 years. I was here last April. Like you know about the rent. I'm here today because I heard you want to take away the interpretation into the Spanish language. It's not right and it's not fair. Because when I came here, it was my first time here. I don't want to offend you, but we did not get much help. But it was good, and I felt good that I was heard and listened to in my language. You do not know what frustration it is not to be heard. And hear you in our language. I think you owe yourself to all of Ventura. Not just 50%. Right? We all deserve respect and deserve to be listened to. I believe you need to focus on what's most important. Right now, it would be the rent. For us, it was not helpful, and so many people are suffering because of this. You don't know this. But we had to pay a rent on the 6th. So far, we have not completed it. Why? Why? Because our rent went up more than double of what we used to pay. And we live on a day-by-day -day basis. I hope you put more emphasis into helping what is most important. You were talking about sports. I'm glad, that's life. But there are so many people suffering and dying. People are committing suicide because they cannot live well because of the rent. That's all, thank you. Our next speaker is Andrea Nava, followed by Elizabeth Alvarez. 
Hi, my name is Andrea. Um, you guys can't take away the Spanish or the English because they help you to learn English. And Martin Luther King, he had a speech that I have a dream one day could every single kid could be treated equally and they could eat from the same lunch counters and they could drink from the same water fountains. So why take away the people that help you to learn English? Like they could help you do so many things. You could learn how to do stuff that you don't even know how to do. They could just help you to learn your language and everybody needs to be treated equally and not just be like they are not joined into the stuff that they need to be in. So why take away this, the people that really need to learn English or Spanish? That That's why schools have a school counselor to help them. Our next speaker is Elizabeth Alvarez, followed by Ophelia Rodriguez. Hi, my name is Elizabeth and I work with the WCC. And today I'm here um, because this week we met with um, Michael and Heather regarding the interpretation. Um, we do need it. Um, as you have seen, there's members here that need the interpretation. They need to be heard. Mayor, please, if you can listen. We need to be heard. Um, there's people, like one of the members said, we don't all come to the meeting, but we do share the information on Facebook, on YouTube, and this is the way they find out. They're not here because they don't want to. They're here because they're at work and they can't make it. They have two to three jobs, but they are informed. So I do ask that to please keep the interpretation no matter what, because you guys are making it look like a racist um, issue here, where you guys just because we're all Caucasian in the table here, most of us, um, we don't want to speak Spanish. I think we should. If Michael knows how to speak Spanish, then we can all learn. Most of our members are trying to speak English. So maybe in the future, we don't need it. But for now, we need to keep the Spanish interpretation. Thank you. Our next speaker is Ophelia Rodriguez, followed by Spencer Noren. Good evening, everyone. My name is Ophelia Rodriguez. My biggest request, and it's what's most urgent to me, would you become aware that the youth and the children need more attention? Spanish is important. Good communication. They want to take that away at schools. There are parents who truly have no opportunity to go to school. Many parents work more than one job. I wouldn't have to tell you this. It was 5.30, I'm just arriving home from work. But I needed to come here and tell you, you have the power to help us. No one more than you 
you who are our front, our face, our biggest and biggest support for all of us. If you could become aware of what's happening in schools and communities, you do not aware, you are not aware of the big need that there is for communication. My English, my English is not good. But every day I'm trying to learn. I go to college to learn. Why didn't I go today? Because I'm here to have communication with you. I have taught my children to have two languages. We all have roots. I respect the English language. I respect the United States, everything to do with this country. But I'm in love with Ventura because they gave me the opportunity. They opened the doors to me. Please help us with our languages. We do need it to have more communication amongst ourselves. So thank you. Truly, let's all put our little bit so we can have better communication. Thank you so much. Our next speaker is Spencer Noren, and Spencer has been ceded time by George Amendola. Spencer, you'll have six minutes. Thank you, Michael. Good evening, Council, Mayor, City Manager, City Attorney, and of course, most important, the residents of Ventura and VPD. Good to see you as well. A couple of things tonight I wanted to touch on from the public comments, also a few comments that I brought in tonight. Good to see everybody. Number one, I want to really thank Modos and Eagles for being here tonight and giving their perspective. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with the group the last few years in the West Side, and they're highly valued and respected. So thank you for being here tonight. Good to hear your opinion. Um, I also want to thank um, and congratulate Mr. Eric Burton on his new retirement. Uh, as former Parks and Rec Commissioner, I had the pleasure of working with Mr. Burton. Also, as a former employee, as a VYBA referee, he also was one of my uh, employers. So, Mr. Burton, congratulations on your retirement, and what a uh, complete respect to his opinion coming forward. If Eric's coming here giving public opinion, that's a huge um, compliment and respect to our community. Use his opinion moving forward. To the pickleball community, um, and my Parks and Rec experiences, I also have the opportunity of diving deep into this, and I'll update you in your project, where the solution for me is to find areas that aren't so adjacent to communities. I will say that Juana Maria Park has been affected by the pickleball revolution, because one, there's no parking, and two, pickleball makes a lot of noise. If you look at areas like Santa Barbara and Montecito, and I believe Goleta, they've worked on city ordinances on how close pickleball courts can be to housing, because of the decimals of the sound that it makes can travel over a half a mile to a mile. So something to really look into is the decimal of the pickleball being moved. I think a permanent facility and courts at Camino Real, as we look at those courts that are currently too big to crack to host tournaments, we need to upgrade the tennis courts and we have the space in the Camino Real Park area to expand into pickleball. There are some houses adjacently to that area with a senior living home just right there, but that area is a great place to expand where there's a lot of noise and traffic there. Along with the Deanne's area, that side of the park works better for the sound. Just a few little notes about where the pickleball conversation is and how I could give a little information for you. And if you want to raise money for the pickleball, you do it through the Community Partnership Foundation. 
with Kevin Clarice, is executive director of. They work very hand in hand with our partners, and we recently did the exclusive park, Kellogg Park before that, and I know the community group is looking possibly for a project to head that. It could be the pickleball tennis courts. That was an update for the pickleball group, as much as I could help there. Um, with respect to the traffic around, and around Ocean Park in that area, to Camille and much condolences to the family of loss of life, the traffic accident. Very sad to hear about the details. If we could work on improving our light infrastructure. Um, I know Jeff Herford and Traffic tra Transportation has been working for the last few years about updating our lighting structure and our systems. It's very old and dilapidated. If we could maybe look at some flashing yellow lights, things that work more, more steadily and flowing with our traffic, it would ease some of the people wanting to speed and go through these known streets that we know in Ventura that you can kind of make shortcuts through. So I believe along with the stop sign suggested, if we could really look at improving the infrastructure of the light process, I don't know the exact terminology of that, but I know that we have one in the queue ready to use us for certain places. Again, I'll bring up, I'll bring up the left-hand turn on Ramelli coming off of telephone that we've all spent too many days waiting at. Thank you for your time, and I want to thank George quickly for the extra time as well. Um, I want to get into real fast, we talked to you about today in the commission, uh, communications between ACPAR, is the La Quinta project that's coming forward through Housing Authority. Please attention to this, Mr. Dran, you especially, this is in your district. I have seen an overwhelming of majority community members do not want this project in this location or in the city of Ventura here. We need to find out first if providing housing is a solution to office streets. Data does not coexist with this, that providing housing from Project Room Key or from Project House Key has provided permanent solutions for housing. At the same time, we're putting this next to the railroad track in a dead-end area. Where are the services provided? What are people going to do if they move to a current motel that we use for people to visit Ventura? Not only are we possibly adding houses for homeless people to use permanent solution housing in a dead-end area next to a railroad track, we're also taking away a hotel that provides areas to stay and visit. We know when big events are in the summertime, we're losing these hotel rooms. Hotel rooms are sometimes four or $500. So when we're taking away and providing houses for the unhoused individuals, which I'm in favor for, those solutions work, I'm not in favor of taking hotel rooms and places for people to come to Ventura and stay. Let's get closer to Knoll Drive. Let's look at making more of a community service hub where the services can all be provided, not spreading them across town and then having homeless people or people who are unhoused individuals with no way to get the services provided. Thank you for looking at that attention at the La Quinta Inn moving forward, Mr. Duran. Now to the topic of what Mr. Johnson talked about, his communications about the fair, uh, situ the fair board meeting on the 22nd and the PSG group presenting. There's a lot of misinformation going on in our community and I believe it's our job of our city to provide our community with accurate information. Number one, no decisions are happening at this event tonight, at that event on the 22nd. So the fair board is not making a decision on moving forward with this possible proposal. Number two, the community needs to know who gave the right for PSG to propose here. It was the old CEO, Barbara Quaid, who's no longer in existence at that area. There's flyers going around town that say, save the fairgrounds if this community or this uh, group develops. It's not true. The fairgrounds isn't going to move with this current development. It actually would stay and be there for a lot longer time. Where if you look at meeting minutes from the November meeting, there was a possibility of discussion of land swapping our fairgrounds with 100 acres in Santa Paula, which would then move the fairgrounds. So personally, as my time runs up, please look at communication to give it to our community members about the facts about the meeting on February 22nd. So Thank you. So they go give public comment. They know what they're getting into.
Thank you so much for your time. Our next speaker is Victoria Ria Gonzalez. Victoria will be followed by Natalie Bruton. Hello, I'm Victoria Rea, um, and I'd like to address that, um, uh, I would like to request that the Spanish interpretation is kept available for the members of our um, community that need it. The Hispanic community of Ventura, although not currently present in a large quantity, deserve to be aware of the news, events, and changes occurring to the city they call home. The people I am referring to, which are my parents, neighbors, friends, uh, they do not attend these meetings as they are busy with work, children, or they're just simply unaware that these are occurring. Um, uh, some people, although they don't have, um, some people need these translations because um, I can translate to my parents, but um, some people don't have people that can translate for them. Um, or there's just some vocabulary that I, uh, that's used in these meetings that I don't have in the Spanish language. So I can't help them in that manner. Um, this, uh, the, the opportunity to be able to listen to the changes that, uh, that occur in Ventura is really important for the people who live here. They um, really need to be aware and um, they need to be heard as well. So I'd also like to thank um, the city for um, introducing the free bus program because I go to Foothill and I need to go home after school and it's um, a really um, helpful way to um, get home, I guess. I don't know. Thank you. Our next speaker is Natalie Bruton, followed by Glenn Overly. Natalie, you should be able to unmute yourself in just a second. Hey, Natalie. All right, can you hear me? We can, yes. Yeah, great, thank you. Um, uh, good evening, uh, Mayor, City Council members, staff, and citizens of Ventura. I'm sorry, my computer's making noise at me. Um, so good evening. Uh, my name is Natalie Bruton, lifelong resident of the Ventura County and a business owner. Thank you all for being there in person. I'm sorry I am not able to be there, but I'm pleased that technology has allowed me to be here digitally. I assure you, you would not want me in your chambers with my germs. This evening, I'm here to request that item number three under consent be brought forward for further discussion. This item is regarding the Planning Commission appointments. This is, a very, this is very important. These commissions and boards are critical to our city. Natalie, we're, we're currently on public comment for non-agenda matters. If you'd like to speak on the consent calendar, then when we call for public comment on the consent calendar, we can do that. Right now is the time for non-agenda related public comments. Okay, I was under the impression that that needed to be called out for discussion prior to you uh, pulling up the consent items. I apologize. For no that. worries. We'll call for public comment on the consent calendar. I'll mark you down as a speaker. All right. Thank you. But I would also like to add one other thing. Um, so uh, beyond that, in addition, our city is full, filled with lovely people. However, very few are willing to serve and invest time and energy in our very important boards and commissions. When someone does take on this challenge and serves with professionalism, commitment, and dedication, they should be treated with utmost respect and held in high regard. 
Tonight, I wish to personally thank Mr. Scott McCarty for his exemplary work on the Planning Commission. We may not have always agreed, but I understand and understood he provided an unbiased decision and I respect him for that. He is a valued member of the Planning Commission and our city. Mr. McCarty, thank you for your vast knowledge and for your service to our community. All right, we'll see you under public comments for uh, item number three of consent. Thank you very much for your time. Our next speaker is Glenn Overly. <coughs> Glenn, you should be able to unmute yourself. And Glenn will be followed by our final speaker, excuse me, Patty Overly. Hey, Michael, can you hear me? We can, yes. Thank you. Uh, good evening, Council. I'm not going to really talk about pickleball tonight. I've played it twice. I like it. If you had the courts, I'd probably play again. More importantly, I think keeping the interpreters is best for our, our community, especially the west side. So please keep that going. Uh, I had some brief comments about the goal setting workshop that occurred on Saturday, January 28, 19, or 2023. Originally, and I have the agenda here in front of me, the agenda says call to order, special session, then it goes roll call, pledge of allegiance, closed session report, and then under formal items, city council goal setting session, and then after that was public communications. But on that particular day, that got called out of order and went to public communications and I was unaware of being familiar with the goal setting uh, meetings that that was my one and only opportunity to talk to council about my comments related to the goals. So tonight I'm gonna to give you just briefly my, my top three goals. Here they are. Number one, employee compensation. Pay employees their worth within the industry standard. You know, I always hear the city talk about awards for this employee, awards for that employee. I received awards throughout my, my career and I can tell you they end up in a box and they don't really do me any good. So in the words of Cuba Gooding Jr. since this is Black History Month, in the Jerry Maguire movie, show the employees the money. Number two, homelessness. I think that is important and I think council will or should keep that as one of the goals. But number three is extremely important to me, roadway and sidewalk repair. My wife and I, when we moved here, remodeled our house and part of the remodel include doing the landscaping. When we did our landscaping, we had sidewalk had migrated in curbing, which is eight inches into the street at this time. We made a deal with the Glenn, we seem to be having some connection challenges. We're not, we're not able to currently hear you. I did also just want to note the city council goals is item number 11. Can you hear us, Glenn? Yes. Can you hear me? We can hear you now. Michael? We we lost you for a little while. I, I did also just want to note that the council goals is agenda item number 11. So right now we'll want to take public comment on non-agenda matters. Perfect, then I'll complete my comments there and can I talk at number 11? Thank you so much. Our next and final speaker on non-agenda matters is Patty Overly. 
Hey, Michael, is it clear? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Great. I want to uh, follow up to the speaker, my neighbor, I don't know you, Camille, whose husband was killed on Ocean Avenue. Beyond tragic. And why I want to follow up on this is beginning in October of 2021, I started pinging the city. I started with the Midtown Ventura Community Council because they said they wanted to know. Turned out they didn't do anything. I don't know, they're busy, I'm not judging. Um, but then I went to the city. And between October 2021 and November 2022, I believe I had four different interactions. Each time I was told something would be done, nothing was done until finally the end. I, I work from home and I have a view of Ocean Avenue by the grammar school here between Orchard and Howard. I see moms with little kids in tow, strollers crossing ocean. There's a yard with a huge fence. You can't see the traffic coming and the cars are speeding at beyond high rates. Reached out, we had three head-on collisions between Howard and Borchard. That's a two or three block stretch. Head-on damaged property walls, three cars, a truck, and a woman head-on into a tree during COVID. I feel that my calls went, you know, I'd be told something was going to be done, somebody would come out, they'd do a, tra a traffic study, they'd put this up, they'd put that, that up, nothing ever happened. Finally, Mr. John, Mike Johnson and uh, Phil Nelson will remember the last exchange I had with them because I had seen a neighbor on Poli Post that they were getting things done because they had had lunch with our chief of police. We now have a man who's died. That's significant. Ocean on both sides of Seaward has high, high rates of speed. We have a grammar school. We have a neighborhood with elderly people. This is Midtown, a lot of people walking to Vons. We have handicapped people. And this just seems to be no big deal, ignore it. And I, I have the emails to prove that it was ignored. It finally got addressed last December. And the address was to paint 25 miles an hour on the road and put up a metal sign. We need more. It's really bad. Come and hang out. Hang out in my house. Watch from out my window. I'll make you a cup of coffee. But it is bad. Please do something about it before somebody dies again. Thank you. And that concludes our public comment on non-agenda matter under public communications. Uh, Mr. City Manager, any comments? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, let me start with inviting Ms. O'Connor up to, uh, to the speaker's podium here to address uh, what I think is the main topic of tonight, uh, the pickleball. Thank you, Mr. Alakan, and thank you, Council. Um, I would like to thank the pickleball group for coming and showing their enthusiasm, and Mr. Noren for giving you guys a background of what this group has um, come and talked to uh, commissions so many times. Um, we're certainly very aware of the enthusiasm of our pickleball group in our community, and we share their passion. 
um, as Mr. Noren talked about, um, where we think the wisest place to put pickleball courts is at Camino Park, closest to the 126, so that that sound of the ball um, can be muted a bit, because that is the other thing that we hear. Um, we do have courts at Juana Maria, and the residents do complain about the sound, because the sound is an issue. Um, this is an issue nationwide. This isn't just here in Ventura. But um, we are working with our public work, and Phil and I just talked about it in the back, uh, Mr. Nelson. We are um, actively working on a capital project that would uh, either repair or replace the tennis courts at Camino, and then we, at an add-on, we would add pickleball courts there. So it is our number one priority, and our commission just voted again to make that our number one priority. It is an issue of funding, but um, that's where we're at. So thank you. Excuse me. <laughs> Nancy, just for our, uh, excuse me, uh, Ms. O'Connor, what does a pickleball court cost to build? Well, you, you wouldn't just build one. Um, so you'd probably build eight. Um, you can probably get two to four on a typical tennis court. Um, the challenge is, is that, you know, you want to do it right, and you want to do it one time. And unfortunately, our tennis courts weren't built correctly. So average, we figure, to build eight courts is probably 800000 to about a million dollars. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, Mr. Mayor, if I may just kind of share some brief notes uh, regarding some of the issues that were brought up tonight. Um, regarding Spanish interpretation services, uh, we plan to provide an update uh, to the City Council at the March 13th meeting, uh, depending on uh, the Council agenda, but uh, the intent is to provide an update on the Spanish interpretation services, and, and uh, the recommendation as of now will be to continue that in some form with recommendations by your City Clerk. I do want to share on that front, um, we have added two Spanish-speaking uh, personnel to the city manager's office just this month of February. I'm, I'm pleased to announce uh, one uh, will be joining us soon, a uh, bilingual community outreach specialist, as well as uh, a receptionist in our office to help with customer service, uh, again, here in the city manager's office. Regarding uh, the school district uh, property and, and residents being able to use those facilities prior to COVID, uh, this is an item I can bring up to the uh, superintendent of schools who I'll be meeting with on Thursday morning. Uh, the Midtown Community Council asked similar questions that were brought up tonight. Uh, regarding the uh, ocean uh, speeding issues, um, I'll refer that to the public works director and the uh, chief of police. And Phil, I don't want to put you on the spot right now, but I think this is something that we need to perhaps research and come back to city council and report back on. Uh, with respect to STVRs uh, at the council goal setting, and again tonight, if uh, council discusses and approves uh, what's presented in the staff report, we will have our marching orders. My suggestion to the interested speakers would be to stay engaged in that process and uh, share your thoughts with uh, the uh, person we have facilitating that discussion when, when they're engaged. That concludes my comments, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Thank you. Um, on to the consent agenda. Items three and seven on the consent agenda are going to be moved to our next meeting. So that leaves us with five consent items. Um, council members, are there any items that you need to pull or question or have comments on? Uh, council member Halter. 
Yes, uh, Mr. Mayor, I'd like to pull on, uh, item number six. Okay. Ms. Campos. I just have questions on items four and five. Four and five questions. I think that's it. Mr. City Clerk, did we have any comments received by email? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We did receive public communications via email, and those have been posted in our supplemental packet. Okay. I have not received a speaker card on our consent items this evening. We did have Natalie Bruton speak previously under public communications about item number three. Uh, it appeared to me that she continued to speak on item three after that message. So I'll defer to our city attorney or to you, Mr. Mayor, um, whether or not we, we have Natalie Bruton speak on item three again. Andy? I'll go ahead and let her, let her provide her comment. Okay, so then we do have one speaker. Natalie, I'm gonna bring you over. Natalie, if you'd like to comment on item number three, now is the time. Okay, can you, can you hear me? We can, yes. Oh, can, can you hear me at this point? We can hear you, yes. Yes? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, um, I'm a little confused because did I just hear the council say they wanna take item three and move it to another meeting? So item three is being continued, yes. So um, then I would like to actually hold my comfort uh, no, actually, I will speak. Excuse me. Um, uh, first of all, I understand that the planning commissioners serve at the pleasure of the district city council member. In the case of District 7, Mr. McCarty has served diligently on the planning commission. I'd like to understand further why he is being removed. There appears to be no rational reason for Mr. McCarty's removal, other than someone um, uh, at a recent meeting, at the Midtown meeting, the comment was others showed interest. That to me doesn't seem like enough information. I appreciate the additional candidates, as I mentioned earlier in my statement, being uh, a member of one of these boards takes a lot of effort, time, and energy, and I appreciate that those individuals wish to, wish to serve. This is not disparaging of those individuals. These are comments about the process and what has occurred in particular for District 7. Um, I am glad that the council has decided that this shall be moved and further information is important because the planning commission is the final say on building, conditional use permits, and other city matters that greatly influence our daily lives. A commission where a majority of the commissioners are inexperienced with the process and even the city makes this situation very precarious, and exposure to organized federal interest group is a major concern. Please take this information and view it and understand how this, this commission plays such an important role for our city. Again, when you go back to re-look re at this and discuss it, my biggest concerns are, there were four vacancies for the planning commission posted, but five were filled. This seems an inappropriate method for filling this space. Thank you again, and I appreciate everyone's time and commitment, and again, to those individuals that are wanting to apply as a planning commissioner. Again, Mr. McCarty has served diligently and deserves our utmost respect 
and thank you for all of his time and his removal, I believe, is completely uncalled for. Thank you very much, and I appreciate the time uh, you have allotted me. Good evening. Okay, and Mr. Mayor, we did receive four other public speaker cards for item number three. Just again for confirmation, item number three is being continued to our next meeting. Uh, if those speakers who are with us tonight would still like to provide public comment, uh, they can do so. I see one nodding yes, so I'll go ahead and call on Carol Spector. And then uh, I've got uh, Wendy Souter as well who would like to provide public comment. And then I also had uh, Suzanne McCombs and Eileen Shaw. Oh, hi, City Council members. Um, I feel like I've met you all, whether, you know, here or doing election stuff or activities throughout the city. Um, and I appreciate that. We're such a small city that, you know, we run into each other, and, and I really like that. Um, you are all really good. When I send emails, you respond quickly. And I'm going to give a quick shout-out to Mr. You know, Ali Khan and McDonald. They return emails really quickly, too, so thank you. Um, I usually speak about specific points, city codes, behalf of residents, but tonight it's more personal. I was a teacher for 34 years, and one of the subjects I taught was U.S. government. From Presidents Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George Bush through Barack Obama, no matter my personal beliefs, I always taught respect for the democratic process and that voting and participating would ultimately pay off in good government and representation. Of course, we covered lobbying and lobbyists and the intricacies of access and power. I'm here asking you to continue considering all points of views, all classes of residents, and to continue to be open to all who approach you. I fear that those who have the greatest means and access will sometimes be heard over the rest of us. The recent announcement of four openings on the Planning Commission, but the filling of five positions, was shocking and kind of discouraging. I'm kind of a Pollyanna when it comes to these things, and I trust that the system will work, but I'm afraid that the undue influence was used to recommend and place applicants on the Planning Commission. Um, yeah. I also have a question whether it will be a conflict of interest for a housing authority staffer to be adjudicating variances if housing issues are discussed. I'm not questioning your integrity in the slightest or your love for this city. I'm just asking you to be aware that many of us unfunded citizen volunteers who live and work here want to keep Ventura the gem that it is. So thank you. Our next speaker is Wendy Souter. Thanks for listening on this item. I'm speaking tonight as a tribute to Mr. Scott McCarty. I learned last week that Mr. McCarty is no longer on the Planning Commission. I was surprised about that, since as you've already heard, there were four positions and five have been filled. Although I don't know him personally, when I attended PC meetings, I noticed he was always incredibly prepared, thoughtful, asked pertinent questions, and will, willing to listen to all sides. I appreciate the time he spent at the meetings as well as all of the hours he must have spent reading and preparing for them. Based on his analysis and commentary, it was very apparent to me that Mr. McCarty was highly qualified to serve on the commission. I never bothered to look at his credentials, 
until a couple of days ago, and I'd like to share them with you. For 17 years, Mr. McCarty worked at Amgen, where he held several high-level positions with increasing degrees of responsibility, including Senior Manager of Supply Chain and Corporate Manufacturing Performance Management, ultimately Director of Operations and Risk Management. Prior to Amgen, Mr. McCarty worked at Lytton Guidance and Control Systems, where he was a Systems and Human Factors Engineer. He was a Commander and Naval Aviator in the United States Navy, where he served our country for 20 years. He has a degree of engineering in aerospace from USC, master's in aeronautical engineering from the post-naval graduate school, and a bachelor in economics from Stanford University. After retiring, Mr. McCarty served on the Ventura Water Commission for four years until he was appointed planning commissioner and has held that position since 2019. I appreciate all of his dedication to this city and to our country, and I want to take a moment of time to thank him publicly. Suzanne McCombs, did you still want to? Okay, Suzanne's going to withdraw. Then I have uh, my next speaker is going to be Glenn Overly, and Glenn, you have been seated time. So, Glenn, I'm promoting you now. You'll have uh, six minutes. You've been seated time by Eileen Shaw. Glenn, you should be able to unmute yourself. Can you hear me, Michael? We can, yes. Greetings, council members. Tonight I am speaking in opposition to consent item number three. While I am certain my comments will fall on deaf ears of council, it is my hope that the citizens of Ventura will hear my words and act accordingly at the voting polls in 2024. Our city leaders have continuously stated how they appreciate and desire citizen involvement. Then in another breath, they tell us how difficult it is to recruit qualified city volunteers to fill the various committees and commissions. I have never met Mr. McCarty, but I have seen and heard him talk at various council and planning commission meetings. I have been impressed by his calm demeanor and his ability to communicate his thoughts to a broad spectrum of citizens and leaders. My understanding of the situation is on February 9th, 2023, the agenda was publicly posted listing Kyler Carlson as the new planning commissioner for District 7. McCarty read the agenda and learns of his removal. He reaches out to the mayor to get an understanding. The mayor confirms McCarty's removal and states at a Midtown Community Council that someone showed interest. Just for the record, Mr. Carlson is a project manager for the Housing Authority of the San Buenaventura. He submitted his application on December 19, 2022, with the endorsements of the Chamber CEO, a current board member of the Housing Authority, and the retired CEO of the Housing Authority. As a citizen, I expect more from the leaders of our council. What are the key issues here? There were two recruitments for the planning commissioner position. The first on November 17, 2022, with a deadline of December 19, 2022. The second was December 20, 22, to January 6, 2023. Both recruitments listed four 
openings only. In District 1, District 4, District 5, District 6. District 7 was never listed on either. I understand the council members selecting their commissioners and can remove them or replace them without cause, but that's just a fail safe to protect the city. From December 19, 2022 through February 9, 2023, the mayor had all that time to notify McCarty. He did not. That is embarrassing and a disgrace. Wendy has told you more about his What are Mr. McCarty's qualifications? He has a BA in economics from Stanford University. He has a master's in aeronautical engineering uh, from the Naval. Oh, my apologies, go ahead, Glenn. No problem. He has a BA in economics from Stanford University. He has a master's in aeronautical engineering, Naval Postgraduate School. He has a degree of engineer in aerospace engineering from USC. He is a career officer in the US Navy, retired. His professional accolades, finalist for NASA Astronaut Candidate Program. He is a senior member of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. What has been Mr. McCarty's service as a Ventura resident? From 2015 to 2019, he has served on the Ventura Water Board. In 2019 to 2021, he filled a vacancy at the Planning Commission. From 2021 to the present, he was selected by Councilman Schrader to be a representative of the Planning Commission for District 7. To me, Mr. McCarty exemplifies the qualities of individuals that should be serving the city's needs. He possesses the education, life experience, along with the ability to communicate and collaborate with a broad spectrum of people is a member in good standing on the planning commission and the qualities he possesses is, is makes this not a very good sound judgment decision. What are the optics here? How can citizens have confidence in our current planning commission appointment process or any others? This is a breach of trust. Planning commissioners served the same four years as the councilman that brought them on. Do we really want to treat a member of our military in this manner? What is the political statement of our mayor's actions? It appears based upon these appointments that the energy or focus of our city is to remove true citizen volunteers for the sake of nonprofits and special interest groups. I suspect our planning commission will become the official rubber stamp of the community development department. I guess the tell will continue wagging the dog. Mr. McCarty, I want to apologize for the way that you have been treated by the leaders of our community. My wife and I want to thank you for your military service. We also want to thank you for your service to our city as a water commissioner and planning commissioner. Thank you, Mr. McCarty. In recognition of Black History Month, this quote by Martin Luther King seems very appropriate. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Patty Overly, followed by our final speaker, Spencer Norin. Go ahead, Patty. Thank you, Michael. Can you hear me? We can, yes. Thank you. 
Before I begin, I want to remind the City Council that the Brown Act allows me to be critical of city government and their actions. I have five points around consent item three. Number one, why wasn't Planning Commissioner Scott McCarty, a commissioner in good standing, given advanced notice that Mayor Schroeder was replacing him on the Planning Commissioner Commission? Commissioner McCarty learned that he was being replaced when he read the agenda last week. Number two, did Mayor Schroeder expect Commissioner McCarty to learn of his replacement when he showed up at the next meeting? Why not pick up the phone and speak to Commissioner McCarty or at least send an email? What is the hidden agenda? Number three, during the February 9th Midtown Ventura Community Council meeting, when asked, Mayor Schroeder said Commissioner McCarty was replaced because others expressed interest. Is Mayor Schroeder implying Commissioner McCarty did not? I looked at the applications and clearly Commissioner McCarty did express interest. Four, yes, it is understood that the mayor can replace or remove his appointed commissioner at any time. But is this how the city council wants volunteer citizens to be treated? Are you all in agreement with how Commissioner McCarty was treated? Keep in mind, Mr. McCarty is also a retired career naval officer. Is this how the city of Ventura wants to treat people who have served our country? Number five, Mayor Schroeder's treatment of Commissioner McCarty is disrespectful at best. I'm not sure if this was the mayor's leadership style in his prior employment, but the citizens of Ventura expect more from our city leadership. As I think about how Commissioner McCarty was treated and how the remaining council members will vote on this consent item, a Bible verse comes to mind. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Thank you. Our final speaker is Spencer Norin. Thank you, Michael. Just a quick comment on this consent item number three is I had the pleasure of doing some community service outreach this week, about 10 hours on the promenade, uh, speaking close by me, a thousand people walking by. Great time. One resident spoke to me though and said that in discussion that he had applied to be a commissioner in November, got a call back two weeks later, hadn't received a call back since then. and was curious if that was the standard for him to wait three or four months to get a call back. I thought that was good testimony that went into place on this topic as well, that there are community members that have applied to be on commissions who haven't received calls back other than the initial response. So I want to also thank and respect the leadership for pulling this item, and hopefully Mr. McCarty can still be on the commission. Thank you. That concludes our public comment on the consent items. Okay, comments on what was the first consent item that what needed to be pulled? I believe item number six was pulled by Council Member Halter. Is that, is that right, Council Member Halter? That's correct. Uh, uh, Mr. Mayor, I'd like to pull that item uh, due to the proximity of properties that I own around that property. And so I'd be refraining from uh, voting on that or participating in any conversation regarding that property. But I would like to be able to vote on the, the, all the remaining consent items. Okay. So we had items four and five, consent items? Items number three and items number seven, and now item number six. 
So item three and seven uh, are both being continued, so those are no longer on consent. Councilmember Halter wanted to pull item number six, and Councilmember Compost had some comments on uh, two items as well, four and five. Thank you. So my questions on item number four and item number five. I would like to understand what the original contract amount was, especially for item number four, and how much we have spent up until now coming into amendment number eight. It seems like a lot of adding on and adding on and adding on, and the contract itself wasn't included for us. Sure. If I can have Mr. Cameron address that, Councilman Campos, thank you. Uh, Mayor, Deputy Mayor, members of Council, Mitchell Cameron, Chief Technology Officer for the City. Thank you for having me here tonight and thank you for the opportunity to address your question. I need to confirm the uh, the amount for the first uh, contract. Just uh, give me one minute while I pull that information up. Um, but what I can tell you is to date um, for item number four, we've, we've expended 749,000 and that's over a, a 10 year time period. Uh, from 2013, I think is when the initial agreement was done. And just bear with me one second while I pull up the original agreement. I, I do appreciate your patience and I apologize for not being more prepared for this. The original agreement was for $200,000. Thank you. And the same information on item number five, it's a much more recent contract. But what was the original and how much have we spent? The original, uh, Councilmember Campos, thank you again for the question. The original agreement was 59,000. It has since been amended. This will be the, s the second amendment uh, to that agreement, um, bringing the total to 439,000 um, in total. And we've expended uh, $128,191.25 on that agreement. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions? I got uh, Mr. McReynolds. Do I have you on the queue here? Just regarding item three, um, I know we have a couple people in attendance tonight, and I just uh, wanted to thank them for coming out tonight. And uh, you know, obviously, if the item is getting continued, we hope that they're back here again in two weeks. But I wanted to thank them for coming out tonight. Okay, thank you, Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. Uh, Perhaps Mr. Ali Khan can answer this. The, 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 what we just heard about number five, the original contract was for $59,000. Is that correct? For the Park Consulting Group for Enerdove? I believe that's just what Mr. Cameron just, just mentioned. Thank you. Thank you. You know, a few months ago, I, I brought up this issue and requested that we get data on this. The times that um, council has asked to amend a contract that came in at about $59,000. Um, alarm bells should go off when uh, we are amending a contract that is somewhere between fifty dollars and $60,000. Um, I thank staff for pulling item number seven. Um, one of the things that I did not bring up at the goal setting but that I submitted uh, in writing was that I, again, um, we should have a contracts manager that does not work in any one particular department, but instead manages the contracts 
for all of the departments uh, so that we can make sure these types of things are, are handled appropriately. Um, and it's, it's very natural and it's very understandable and it's appropriate and it's good for the city when city staff, for example, um, gets to know the contractors that they work with regularly. Um, Public Works works a lot with, let's say, Sam Hill and Sons, and the city attorney's office works a lot with the BBK law firm, and the water department works a lot with Raftellis. The city manager's office works a lot with Mustang Marketing. Um, but we need to make sure that every couple years we, we really go back and look at who's getting the contracts and how. Um, it's. I appreciate Ms. Campos raising those questions on four and five, and, and Mr. Alicon, I've, I've shared with this with you just recently, that I would really like staff reports to include a background of, of what happened before. When we're looking at an Eighth Amendment, the staff report should include the dates of the original contract and all the amendments so that we can look them up. They don't have to be hyperlinked, just the dates. Um, as, I, as I mentioned in an email today, um, I shouldn't have to, you know, navigate our difficult public records access database to try to find previous contracts that we're being asked to amend. Um, it's not something that, our, that the members of our public should do either. Um, and I appreciate all that we're going to be talking about with goal setting. I go back to the goal I suggested, which was that we really should have a citizen committee that can make sure that we are following best practices when it comes to ethics, accountability, and transparency. I'm not questioning the ethics of anybody on the council, anybody on staff, but I do think we need to do a better job with accountability and transparency. And I, for one, um, I'm paid $600 a month, and um, I spend too much time looking through public records and not enough time helping my constituents. Thank you, Mayor. If I have this right, Mr. City Clerk, so three and seven have been moved to our next meeting and Council Member Halter can't be here when we vote on six, so I would accept a motion on two, four, and five. Is that correct? Mr. Mayor, uh Councilmember Halter can vote just with the understanding that his vote will not include item six. Okay, so. So yeah, item six will be held separately. We'll, we'll vote on item six separately. So right now, consent items for the remaining items. Which would be two, four, and five. That's right. Okay. I'll make a motion. Is there a second? I'll second. Discussion? Let's take the vote. Okay, you can go ahead and enter your vote now on your Crestron for the remaining consent items. All votes have been entered. Six ayes, one no, and the motion carries. Thank you, now on to consent item number six. Do I have a motion? So moved. Do I have a second? Second. Second. Comments? Vote, please. Okay, on item number six, we'll have to do a roll call vote. Uh, since we have an absent member, Council Member Duran. 
Yes. Councilmember McReynolds? Yes. Councilmember Johnson? Yes. Councilmember Halter is recused. Councilmember Campos? Yes. Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios? Yes. And Mayor Schrader? Yes. Six ayes, and the motion carries. Okay, on to the formal items. Item number eight, adoption of a revised salary resolution for unrepresented employees. I believe we have a staff presentation. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and the members of the City Council. The salary for the City Manager is currently set at a flat hourly rate. To provide the City Council with flexibility in hiring and to comply with the new California requirement to include a pay scale in recruitment advertising, establishment of a salary range for the City Manager classification is proposed. A salary survey was conducted by Human Resources with 17 comparable California cities in accordance with the City Council compensation guidelines. The survey reflected that the city's current flat rate of approximately $294,099 per year is approximately 7.72% below the average of the market mean and median. As such, an annual salary range of $236,417 and 1680 cents to $316,800 and 0160 cents is recommended for council consideration. This concludes my report and I'm happy to answer any questions. Council member questions? Move on to public comments. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. No uh, speaker cards submitted for item number eight. We did, however, receive communications electronically, and those have been posted in the supplemental packet. Okay, on to council deliberation and motion. I'll move the recommendation. Second. Any further discussion? Uh, just that we allow Councilmember Johnson an opportunity to return. Okay. Um, Mr. Mayor, Councilmember Johnson uh, had to step out for a, um, a, a situation he was dealing with, so he's, he's not going to vote on this item. Okay. We'll then take the vote. Do we need a roll call or do you do it automatically? I'll do a roll call vote uh, since we have one member absent. Councilmember Duran on yep. item number eight. Yes. yes, thank you. Councilmember McReynolds? Yes. Councilmember Johnson is absent. Councilmember Halter? Yes. Councilmember Campos? Yes. Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios? Yes. Mayor Schrader? Yes. Six ayes and the motion carries. Okay, um, one, one second for some deliberations with the city manager. Okay, on to item nine, adoption of a resolution approving employment agreement for the interim city manager. Um, council member, comments and questions? Looks like we don't have any. City clerk, do we receive any comments? 
Uh, Mr. Mayor, we did receive communications via email. Those have been posted electronically. No speaker cards submitted on item number nine. Okay, on to council deliberations and motion. Uh, and, and Mr. Mayor, if I may, uh, you've got a uh, script there for nine. You want to. Excuse me? Oh. You'll want to introduce the item. Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks. So this is on the interim city manager. The city council has agreed to appoint assistant city manager Akbar Ali Khan to interim city manager, effective council approval. City council designated Mr. Ali Khan as the acting city manager on November 14th, 2022, following former city manager Alex McIntyre's placement on administrative leave and subsequent resignation. It is estimated that the recruitment and hiring process may take up to six months, including the, rec the recruitment and evaluation period, background investigation, negotiation and, and agreement with a candidate, and providing a new city manager with the ability to provide sufficient notice to their current employer. Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios and I were designated as negotiators for this process and receive input from the council regarding the interim city manager's employment agreement. We met with the acting city manager, Alakan, to discuss the proposed recommendations. We are recommending that the interim city manager, Alakan, receive a monthly salary of $20,737.49, which is an increase of approximately 14% over his salary as assistant city manager. He will also receive a $500 per month auto allowance and a $100 per month cell phone technology allowance. There are no other proposed changes to Mr. Ali Khan's benefits. We are pleased that Mr. Ali Khan will be serving as our interim city manager during this transition. Further deliberations from city council. Go to a vote, please. Is there a motion? Yeah, I'd like to make a motion to approve. We have a motion and a second. Okay, on item number nine, we do have a motion and a second. Go ahead and enter your vote now. All votes have been entered. Seven ayes and the motion carries. Thank you. Um, item number 10 is the Brown Act presentation. I believe there's a staff presentation. Oh, I, I think I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's take a 15 minute break. Thank you.
Okay. On to the Brown Act presentation. City Attorney Andy Heglin. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, so I'm glad to be here tonight. Thank you for letting me uh, have a few minutes to share with you a summary of the Brown Act. Obviously, the Brown Act is a fairly complex uh, statute of law with a lot of exceptions and nuances. And, and the purpose of tonight's presentation is not to get into all of those, but to give you just a quick summary of some of the highlights uh, that I think you will encounter most of the time. We also, as part of our staff report, provided a detailed uh, memo, research paper, which goes into more of the details related to the Brown Act. It was prepared by uh, attorneys in our office, and I appreciate them for doing that work. Uh, also, the League has some very good materials uh, including an open and public um, publication, which uh, provides the uh, more detailed information about the Brown Act in a in very user-friendly format. So if you ever have any questions, of course you can call me or our office and we can uh, answer your que specific questions, but if you just ever wanted to look at it and, and, and maybe see if, if you um, have some uh, clarification that you need, feel free to look at that material. It's, it's all very good. Uh, next slide, please. So the, the Brown Act is intended to, uh, to ensure that the public is a part of their governing process. And in fact, the policy behind the Brown Act uh, has this statement that says the people in delegating authority do not give their public servants the right to decide what is good for the people to know and what is not good for them to know. The people insist on remaining informed so that they may retain control over the instruments that they have created. And I know it's the interest of uh, the city and of this council to maintain a public and open uh, governing process. And that's the purpose of the Brown Act. And so uh, the, the, uh, as we go through this, keep that in mind. That is one of the, uh, the primary goals of the Brown Act. Next slide, please. The Brown Act applies to any legislative body uh, at public meetings regarding items of business on an agenda. And we're going to talk about some of these in more, in more details. Next slide. So what is a legislative body? Well, in general, it's the governing body of a local agency, so the city council, of course. Uh, it also would include commissions, committees, boards, or other bodies of the local agency. So the planning commission, design review committee, parks and rec commission, all of those would be legislative bodies for purposes of the Brown Act. And so the rules that apply to you as council members would also apply uh, to those commissioners and to those bodies as well. Next slide. So what is a meeting? Well, a meeting I think we all would know is a majority of the body. So in our case, it would be a four of the seven members would be a meeting. Or in the case of a five-member board like the DRC or HPC, it would be three of five. And the majority of the body, uh, so a meeting is when a majority of the body hears, discusses, deliberates, or takes action on any item of business within the body's subject matter jurisdiction. So if, you, if we have a majority of the body getting together and talking about the Super Bowl, um, or the big game, I guess I should to keep it legal, um, that would not be a violation of the Brown Act because the, the Brown Act protects against speaking of or taking action on items that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of, of the body. Next slide, please. 
Now, not all meetings are as obvious as four people or more getting together and having a conversation. Sometimes the, the conversation takes the form of a, what's called a serial meeting. So it's not that four people or a majority come together for a, a, a meeting together, but it's a series of communications, typically which involve less than a quorum, but together involve a, a majority. Uh, so in other words, what this looks like is one council member calling a colleague and talking about an agenda item and, and sharing his or her opinion about that item. And then that commissioner, or that council member, sorry, uh, goes and repeats that, that opinion to somebody else and somebody else. And before you know it, the opinion or the discussion of that item has occurred in the majority of the council members. Didn't happen in a meeting. It was the four commission or council members weren't together, uh, but they communicated in a serial meeting, which effectively is a, a Brown Act violation. That's kind of the clearest example of serial meetings, but uh, it gets more nuanced from that. So next slide, please. These serial meetings often are virtual forms, right? And, and maybe this is even uh, just as common as a serial meeting over the phone. And in these situations, uh, they, the council member may communicate via email and so, uh, or instant messaging or some other type of uh, electronic communication. So let's say you send a message to your council members, uh, to your, your colleagues on the council, and somebody replies all to that with their opinion. They've just violated the Brown Act. So it didn't, you, we weren't all together in a meeting, uh, but you violated the Brown Act, which is why uh, we encourage each of you and staff to communicate to the council, the whole of council, uh, blind copying the city council. Just as a reminder to the city council uh, not to reply to all, uh, because if you reply to all, it would be a violation of the Brown Act. And if you, if you reply all to a blind copy, none of the blind copies get copied on that. So again, it's just a, a precaution to try to avoid this type of serial meeting. And it can happen through texting and blogging as well. Next slide, please. The law on this is, is tightened up even more in the sense of using digital communications in social media. And, and so until 2021, the law in this, er in this area wasn't as clear as it is now. And now the state law says that it's a Brown Act violation uh, to communicate through social media with other officials related to business within the body's, uh, the body's jurisdiction, even if it's only between two members. So in that case, you don't necessarily have to have a majority uh, if you have two members communicating in some form uh, over social media, that uh, would be a violation of the Brown Act. And that could include the use of digital icons, such as uh, the happy face or a heart or a like, if you like somebody's post uh, related to uh, the body's business within the city's, city's jurisdiction, that would be a violation of the Brown Act. Posting general city information without opinion is probably okay because you're not really expressing your opinion there. But again, the, I think the general advice is not to like or comment on in any fashion any, any of your colleagues' social media communications, just to avoid there being a violation. Next slide. Now, with, uh, as with most laws, I guess there are exceptions. And, uh, and so the Brown Act has six very specific 
exceptions to the general rules we've talked about. And I'm just going to run through these quickly. You may be familiar with a lot of these. Uh, the first exception is for individual contact. So if you can have an individual contact or conversation with any other person, that, and that would not be a Brown Act violation. However, you need to keep in mind the, the admonition against um, communicating your opinion and the serial meetings, because that could uh, open itself up to uh, a Brown Act violation. A second exception is conferences, public or educational conferences on matters of general interest. Uh, so if you attend a, a conference, uh, you can attend at, in a majority and with, without violating the Brown Act. In fact, the Brown Act uh, allows members of the council to even participate in that meeting as long as it's on the agenda, it's, it's an item within the agenda. Um, and the same for community meetings, open notice meetings to discuss topic of local community concern organized by someone other than the city, like the community councils, for example. Just an important note to have here is while there are exceptions to uh, the Brown Act for these types of meetings, conferences and community meetings, what was a legal meeting could quickly become an illegal meeting. Uh, for example, let's say you're at a conference on city government, let's say, and you attend, and, and then there's a lunch included, and you go to the lunch, and you all sit together, and you have a conversation about the city business, or you have a conversation about what was discussed uh, during the conference. It's not part of the normal present, the, the presentation. You have a conference about how this would be helpful to the city or beneficial to some, something to look at. That would turn what was a legal meeting, attendance at the conference, into an illegal Brown Act violation. Uh, because you had a com you had a conversation with with the majority of the council members on items uh, within the council's uh, jurisdiction. So just attending the conference itself doesn't give you a blanket in endorsement of any activity there. Uh, a fourth exception is other legislative bodies. So you can attend an open notice meeting of another body of the public agency, like LAFCO or some other public agency. You can attend a standing committee, an open notice meeting of standing committee within your own agency within the city, provided that you're not a member of the standing committee. So if you want to attend a HOPES committee as, a, as a, an observer or uh, any other, other uh, the FAB, uh, you can attend with the, with the caveat that you can't participate. So you can only be an observer, you can't say anything. Um, and so that's a distinction from the conferences and community meetings exceptions, which do allow you to participate as part of the, as part of the agenda. You can't do that in standing committees. And then finally, the social ceremonial events. As long as there's no discussion of business within the subject matter jurisdiction of a local agency. For example, I think many of you attended uh, Eric Nazarenko's swearing-in uh, a, a few weeks ago. And that would be a ceremonial event that a majority of the council uh, could attend. But again, if the council members are circling up uh, in a corner and, and, and talking about city business, even though they were, there was not a violation by attending the meeting, that would you know, become an, a violation of the Brown Act. Uh, an important note here is that while there may not be explicit violation of the Brown Act, sometimes there's a perception of a Brown Act violation. And so it's something you should always keep in mind that in, in this scenario that I just gave, you're at Eric Nazarenko's swearing in, and then you go into the corner and start talking. You may be talking about the upcoming Super Bowl or talk about what a nice venue the museum is. But it could look like you're talking about 
um, city business, or maybe raises the question. So while it may not be a technical violation of the law, it could create a, a question in people's minds. So it's something to keep in mind, maybe to avoid that setting. Maybe don't uh, attend the meeting, but maybe don't join together as a, as a majority of the, of the body to have conversations off the record. Uh, next slide, please. I'm sure most of you are familiar with some of this, this technical, these technical requirements of meetings. We'll just run over it quickly. Um, under the Brown Act, regular meetings, the ones that are on our calendar uh, every other week generally, we have to put, produce the agenda 72 hours before that meeting under the Brown Act. Uh, the city council, when they, when they call special meetings, it only requires 24 hours notice. Uh, and then if there's an emergency meeting, then it's only one hour prior. And, and there's specific notice requirements, for example, for emergency meetings, it has to be provided to the media so that they can uh, they can distribute that information or make it known. So each of the types of meetings that we have, we have has different type of meeting notice. Next slide. And then I'm sure you've all figured uh, that the agenda that we is published is very much uh, intended to satisfy the Brown Act and provide the necessary information so that the public is informed about what is happening at that meeting. And so the agenda includes a statement of the date, time and place of the meeting, a brief description description of the nature of each item. Uh, it, it, there may be a notation including staff reports or other documents which are on file for review. And for projects under the California Environmental Quality Act, there is a CEQA designation there, asking the council to uh, confirm that a project is exempt or take action on a negative de declaration. That CEQA uh, Determination is, help, is usually agendized before the actual project because you need to make that determination before you can approve the project. Next slide. And then as is often the case, uh, sometimes during a public meeting, a city council meeting for example, comments are made by the public and uh, there's a question about what can be said or, or what discussion can be had outside of what's on the agenda. So generally speaking, members of the council cannot comment or make statements that aren't on the agenda except for a very few limited circumstances. For example, the council can briefly respond to a public question or comment. Uh, they can ask a question for clarification. Maybe they, a member of the public says something and they would like staff to provide an explanation. They can, ask, they can ask for that. They can make a brief announcement or report their own activities. For example, several of the council members providing uh, an update or a headliner of what's coming up. That's not all agendized necessarily. It's, un it's agendized under council comments, but, uh, but, but the Brown Act allows them to, each of you, to provide that type of information on your activities. Uh, you can refer the public elsewhere for factual information. Maybe the item doesn't involve the city, but involves the county or some other county resource, or maybe direct them to speak to staff. Uh, and so that's something that would be appropriate. You can request that staff report back uh, on, on an item raised or direct that a matter be placed on a future agenda. I wanted to make one note here that the, while the Brown Act allows for these types of discussion, non-agendized discussions, uh, your protocols do have some limitations on, for example, adding items to the a future agenda or directing staff. So this is what the Brown Act allows. Your rules uh, may qualify this a little bit, at least in those, in those two areas. But generally speaking, um, these are all okay under the Brown Act. Next slide, please. 
Another area is virtual participation uh, by council members. I know this, for some of you, has been a thorn in your flesh. Uh, the traditional Brown Act rules are, are kind of onerous, and if you're on vacation, for example, and you have to, you have to post the agenda uh, in your hotel, you have to make your hotel room available for the public, and that's been the, the way that the Brown Act uh, has required virtual participation, participation up until COVID. Uh, and I think the legislature now recognizes that um, there are some situations where um, maybe there, that could be so softened a little bit. So they've made some changes and updated the law. Uh, this, these traditional Brown Act rules are the default. So if you don't meet any of the, uh, of the requirements for the um, virtual participation that we'll talk about in a minute, this would still be the rule. You'd still need to comply with this. And in that case, it, your location must be identified and notice and the agenda, so if you're in a hotel, you need to say, I'm gonna be in this hotel, this is my, my room number. It needs to be accessible to the public. Uh, because you aren't in the meeting, it needs to, the vote needs to be by roll call. And you need to have a quorum, uh, so at least four of our members need to be uh, within the boundaries of the territory. So you can't all be on vacation at the same time. We need to have at least four of you here. And the agenda must provide notice of how the public can participate and be posted at each remote location. Uh, next slide. So recently, the, uh, the legislature adopted AB 2449, uh, which I think was an attempt to kind of build on the emergency orders which were in place during COVID that would allow virtual participation, the AB 361. So these new rules allow uh, the council members to participate remotely if there is a personal emergency or just cause circumstances. And unlike the traditional rules, uh, the remote locations need not be disclosed to the public. The virtual participation must be with audio and vi video. Uh, and you must disclose any individuals 18 years or older uh, that are there with you and what their relationship to you is. And uh, you still need an in-person quorum. Uh, so we would still need to have, we couldn't have all of you virtual. And then the agenda must provide notice of how the public can participate. Um, so uh, let's, let's delve into this a little bit more. Next slide. Under AB 2449, uh, the, the first reason for virtual participation is just cause. And that would be for these specific, uh, re, uh, the specific um, situations where you have childcare, family caregiving issues, a contagious illness like COVID, uh, the need to re related to physical or mental disability or official business travel, but not vacation. Uh, so in, if you have a just cause, if you have a reason, one of these four reasons, then you have to give notice to the city as, at your earliest opportunity. Um, and that will be contrasted um, with the personal emergency in just a minute. The important thing here is that you're only allowed to do this two meetings per calendar year. So you can't do a just cause virtual participation every, every month if you can only do it two meetings per calendar year. The next, uh, the next virtual participation avenue, I guess, is the personal emergency. And in this case, you have to provide, a, uh, you have to get, make a request from, to the body that, and the body must take action to approve. Uh, and so you have to also provide a brief description of circumstances causing remote participation. So let's say you uh, wanted to participate remotely because you had a death in the family and you needed to be out of town for that. Uh, you would need to request that, you, uh, that the emergency, personal emergency apply, and then the city council at the beginning of that meeting would need to take a vote on whether or not you, they will, um, would be okay with you participating remotely. 
And in this case, you can only use this personal emergency no more than three consecutive months or 20% of the meetings in a calendar year. So it's fairly limited uh, to how often you can use it. But these are now, AB 2449 provides these two avenues for virtual participation. Next slide. Then public comment. Um, this is a, obviously a very important part of these meetings. And, uh, and so the uh, Brown Act says that in the case of regular meetings, uh, the public can speak on items of interest to the public. So during the public communication section of our agenda, as long as the, an item is within the subject matter of the jurisdiction, so something that would be something you would consider, the, uh, the public can speak on that. And they also have to be provided an opportunity to speak on a, um, before action is taken on a specific agenda item. So um, in our case, we have the public comments um, at the beginning, but even if we didn't have that in like the second meeting of the month, we don't have that at the beginning, but before the consent calendar is approved, before the formal items are taken, the public is always given an opportunity to, to be heard on that. In special meetings, only items listed on the notice can be sp spoken about. So if you have a special meeting to, to discuss uh, parking downtown, let's say, uh, and that's what the special meeting is about, the, a member of the public can't come during public communications and talk about um, pickleball courts, for example, because that wasn't listed on the notice. <coughs> and then uh, oftentimes speaker time limits are, are an issue, and the, the Brown Act doesn't require a three-minute time period, and, and the, the Local agency and the city council does have some discretion in, in what um, and the time frame that they allow for speaking. That is the, the case law does, though, however, indicate that three minutes is a reasonable time. So if you're trying to provide a reasonable amount of time, uh, three minutes as opposed to five minutes or ten minutes is reasonable under the Brown Act. And as we saw tonight, um, if we have a non-English speaker who's using a translator, they get twice the allotted time, which was why tonight the, the the speakers with translators got six minutes. Next slide. And then public conduct. Uh, so the, the body, uh, the city council has the authority to adopt rules for decorum. And so if the council, the mayor decides to uh, restrict yelling or clapping or demonstrations, uh, that's fine to do. Uh, again, there's, it's important to protect uh, the people's First Amendment rights and First Amendment um, the First Amendment it isn't just speech, it's, it's signs and other actions, waving of the hands in the air. Uh, but even with that in mind, the legislature says the, the meeting needs to be able to move forward um, productively and efficiently. So for that reason, if, if the mayor or the council wants to restrict that type of um, activity, they can. The law on removing an individual for interruption has changed recently as well. And um, this gets into a little bit of gray area uh, because you can see we have terms like uh, behavior substantially disrupts a meeting. Uh, and what rises to that level is oftentimes not clear. Uh, rudeness and criticism is not prohibited, however, unless behavior interferes with the meeting. So simply getting up and, and using profanity in your speak or speech speaking or saying uncomfortable things, that cannot be prohibited um, unless that substantially disrupts the meeting. If you're yelling profanities from the audience and you're not speaking during your allotted time, then that would be disrupting the meeting and, and may rise to the level of um, being removed. 
Before someone is removed, however, the, the mayor needs to make a statement that the behavior is disrupting this meeting and failure to stop the behavior may result in removal. So they need a warning. And it, prior to this uh, SB 1100, there was uh, several warnings were required. It was much more uh, time consuming or complicated to get to the, the actual removal part. However, uh, no warning is required when, when there's a use of force or a threat of force. And so after giving the warning, if the disruptive behavior doesn't stop, that member of the public can be removed. Next slide. Oftentimes, if there's a situation where uh, the meeting is being willfully interrupted by a group, then the mayor can order the clearing of the room during, uh, due to an interruption by the public. Uh, and, and again, in this situation, the order cannot be restored by removal of individuals themselves. Uh, in that case, the, the mayor may, may have the room cleared and continue the meeting, but only on agenda items. And the media, if they weren't a part of the disruption, they can remain, which makes sense to the extent possible. We want to continue to provide the, the, the public, uh, the public um, observation of the meeting, even in that situation. Next slide. We just have a few more here. Um, closed session. So again, the, the, because public meetings of, um, of the council are intended to be public, the legislature is very specific on what items may be handled in closed session outside of the public's view. And so there's specific, six specific uh, items that can be discussed in closed session. Real property negotiations, labor negotiations, litigation, building and facility safety, license and permit determinations, and public employee and appointment, employment, performance evaluation or discipline. Those are the, those are the items that can be discussed in closed session. Uh, next slide. However, again, in the interest of making the public aware uh, of what's happening in, in the government, some closed session items must be reported in open session and voted on. For example, if a real property, the real property negotiations may be conducted in closed session, but when, the, when it comes time for the actual transaction or approving the transaction, that must occur in open session. Uh, approval of labor negotiations, even though there's a lot of back and forth that's discussed in closed session, that those contracts come before the uh, full council and an open session. Action regarding employees, um, and then settlement of litigation. Next slide. Just a general statement that uh, there are, again, in keeping with what the Brown Act intends, no secret ballots, so the votes of all members present must be recorded. And then uh, a last slide here. The, uh, so what happens if the Brown Act is violated? Well, under the Brown Act, there could be criminal prosecution, uh, and it could be a misdemeanor if there's an action taken in the, in the meeting that violates the Brown Act and the member intends to, unhold, to withhold information from public. So inadvertently having, conducting a, a serial meeting, not intending to withhold information, maybe not thinking about it, or maybe inadvertently violating the Brown Act, wouldn't necessarily satisfy that second prong of the criminal, the need for criminal prosecution. But let's say that you pull together, an obvious example, pull together a majority of the council to talk about an item coming to the agenda. And you uh, made a decision or a commitment or a promise by the majority of the body, um, even if it was intentional, unintentional, but if you, if you came together for the purpose of having a conversation off the record, that would be a violation. That would could potentially rise to the level of criminal prosecution. 
The other uh, probably more common enforcement action is civil enforcement. And if there's an ongoing violation of the Brown Act, the court order uh, could, could be issued stopping the violation. The, or, the, the action that was taken outside of the public meeting could be voided. I, I know in uh, our conversations with the district attorney who is responsible for enforcing the Brown Act, um, typically the, in cases of uh, where, where there's an inadvertent violation, the, the, the district attorney typically uh, attempts to find a, a way to resolve that or, or find a way to fix that if that's possible uh, before going to the extent of any kind of civil or uh, enforcement or criminal prosecution. Uh, and so the, the district attorney is, um, uh, is, is the enforcement arm uh, on this case. Next slide. So that completes my presentation. Again, this was not intended to be a a comprehensive analysis or a discussion, just a, a high-level high um, presentation of the high points. And um, I'm available for any questions. And um, so oh, that's it. Thank you. Mr. McReynolds. Uh, thank you. Uh, three questions. Um, we received an email sometime this week regarding the uh, removal of the all email all council members simultaneously. Is that was that a was that removed because of the Brown Act or? I'm sorry, I'm not sure. What, what is the email you're referring to? Uh, we received uh, from a resident. Uh, they were just kind of saying that there used to be an email button to you could email all of the council members simultaneously. Now you have to put in each council member's email address. If I was I just can, wondering if that was the Brown Act. Thank you, Councilmember McReynolds. If I can uh, clarify, to my knowledge, and the city clerk can confirm that email address is still active. That's it is. council at cityofventura.ca.gov, so that's still working, and it hasn't been removed. That, that is correct. Just, just to add on to that, the, if communications are sent to all council, for example, then I'm on that distribution list as well, and then that communication is included in a supplemental packet. So any communication that's sent to an entire council will be included in a supplemental packet. Uh, that is not the reason why item three was continued tonight. Okay. Uh, my second question is uh, shortly after the election in November, there was a question regarding the state of the city and having council members in attendance at that. Has that been clarified or? Uh, that has not been clarified. It is our position that that is not a violation of the Brown Act. That's also the, the position of other city attorneys uh, up and down the state. Uh, the dist our district attorney takes a different position on that. And so they have requested a, an interpretation from the attorney general which is the um, appropriate place for that interpretation to come. That's the final arbitrator. Right, and it, it'll probably be months before we get a decision on that, but that's, that's where that is. Okay, and my last question is the three minutes. Uh, we had 20 speakers tonight. We did the three minutes for everybody. Is that still, can you reduce speaking time or? Yeah, you, you can reduce speaking time. Um, again, it's, it's a reasonable amount of time, and so when you have a lot of speakers, I think it would be, it's more reasonable, I suppose, uh, to reduce that time. In fact, our protocols do allow for the, does allow for the council to reduce the speaking times um, as part, in certain situations. Okay, that's all, thank you. Uh, Councilmember Duran. My question was uh, one of the same as uh, Councilmember McReynolds in regards to the state of the city. According to what you just taught us and according to what we learned in Studio City, the state of the city w would not be, right, would not be 
um, violating the Brown Act. And so you're saying that you're waiting for the Attorney General to make a decision on that? Yeah, we, so the under the uh, one of the ex two of the exceptions and that we discussed tonight, um, the conferences and the community meetings, uh, it is our position and I think it's traditionally held by city attorneys up in county councils up and down the state that it is not a violation of the Brown Act for the state of the city meeting. Uh, in fact, when the county recently had their meeting, uh, the county council took the position that it was not a violation of the Brown Act, even though the district attorney was taking a different position. So the, if, if there's a disagreement, it's, it's then incumbent on the district attorney to kick that question to the attorney general, which he's done. Assuming that we don't get a response from the uh, attorney general by the time the next day of the city comes, will we all be able to attend to hear our mayor share the state of the city? I think we'll have to discuss it again at that, at that point. Um, obviously, um, the county council advised the board of supervisors that, that they could attend. I can provide you my uh, analysis and it would be up to the council, I guess, to decide whether they want to take the risk of that or not, pending the attorney general decision. Thank you. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, and this may be a question more for Mr. McDonald than for Mr. Hagelin, but when we talk about um, how we get emails, of course, if somebody sends something to council at the city, all council members get it, the clerk gets it, it goes into the supplemental packet. Uh, sometimes we have people that instead of uh, emailing council at, they, they individually email all seven council members. And I, I spent about a year where I was the one who was forwarding those things to the city clerk to make sure that they got caught. Um, and frankly, I got a little tired of being the one to do that. If you go back and look at um, staff reports from the, my first year on council, you will see on the supplemental packet, those emails are all addressed to Mike Johnson because there was no way of capturing them in any other manner. I'm not doing that anymore. Do we have a system to make sure that uh, when somebody emails council members individually, that uh, it goes into the supplemental packet? beyond hoping that a council member forwards it to the clerk? Thank you for that question, uh, Council Member Johnson. You are correct in that if a member of the public emails uh, all of the council members with the individual email addresses that it is not captured by the clerk's office. Uh, per our protocols, I would strongly encourage all council members to uh, remember that and, uh, and per our protocols, a copy should be forwarded to the city clerk's office. And I would also encourage you all to remind your constituents to use that council email address so that it can be captured. So uh, yes, Council Member Johnson, you are correct in that uh, not all communications are captured. So a good reminder, and I, I appreciate you mentioning that, uh, it is cited in our, our council protocols to uh, make sure that one of those emails is forwarded to the city clerk for inclusion in the supplemental packet. Thank you very much. Um, if you could give me just a moment. Uh, I, I want to apologize for, for being a little distant and standing up and walking out. I'm, I'm having leg cramps. Um, and just so everybody knows, when a council member goes in the back, there are speakers there so we can hear everything that's going on. Um, I hope somebody else has a question. I'll come back to what I was thinking. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, council Member Campos. I would like to follow up on Council Member Johnson's question about the email. Um, so if, if we're receiving email from staff or from the clerk with blind copy, we can't know if other council members are copied on it. 
Do you want those all returned to you in case, or how do we? So thank you for that, Councilmember Campos. You are correct as well that you wouldn't see the blank copy. I think it would be safe to say that if a member of the public was individually including all seven council members, they as well were not blind copying the city clerk's office or the council email address. Uh, also keep in mind these are only for communications that are sent to the entire council and not to you specifically, for example. Uh, so yes, you wouldn't know if I was blind copied, but uh, to be safe, uh, you're always welcome to forward an email to me to ensure that it gets captured. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. Uh, my second question for Mr. Hagelin was around the uh, timing for public comments. I know you and I have talked about this um, because it really is, is uh, has to do with the way our protocols are worded. Um, certainly the protocols grant the mayor and the council the ability to limit the amount of time given to a speaker when we have public comments at the beginning of a meeting uh, in order to fit half an hour. Is it your opinion, Mr. Hagelin, that when we have a speaker uh, addressing an item on an agenda for the council or the planning commission that their time can be reduced by the mayor or the chair of that meeting? Thank you for the, for the question. Um, I would say there is some ambiguity in the protocols, but I believe that if in my interpretation would be that the time could not be, cannot be shortened um, during the formal action, public speaking, only during the public communications. Thank you. And just to make sure that rule would then applies, um, as I understand it, our protocols apply not just to council, but all of our subcommittees, commissions, and committees as well. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Thank you so much. Can, can I add a clarifying comment? Of course. Thank you, Mr. City Attorney. So I just want to point out as well, per our protocols, that at any time the council or board could introduce a motion to suspend the rules, for example. And if that was done, a council or a subcommittee, for example, could make a motion to adjust the speaking time uh, per our protocols. And that is correct. Thank you for that, um, for that clarification. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. What is the vote required for a suspension of the rules? Is it a two-thirds? Under the, um, under Rosenberg's is two-thirds. Um, I don't recall off the top of my head if the protocols require something different than that or allow for something different than that. But is under Rosenberg's it is two-thirds. I believe you're correct. Thank you. I have a follow-up question. So, um, I think Councilmember Johnson's the liaison to the fair board and later this month they're going to have a presentation from an outside group. So are more than three people allowed, three council members allowed at that meeting? And if, and if we were to walk in there, I'm not sure we always know that there's four of us or five of us there. So, and if, if that's the case, then we should leave? Uh, thank you for that question, Mr. Mayor. The, under, under the uh, exceptions, you could attend in a majority of a, another Brown Act board, so you could attend that meeting. Okay, and, and I'm very encouraged um, that we're still trying to get an answer on um, the state of the city, which I think uh, Councilmember Duran talked about, because the state of the county meeting, it was really clear the majority of the supervisors were there. 
and the district attorney were there. And so I'm kind of confused about the district attorney's office apparently wrote an opinion according to Supervisor Levere that it was okay for the supervisors, a majority of them, to attend that state of the county which was put on by an outside organization. So are there two opinions coming out of the county? Uh, what I heard was that the district attorney took the position that it was a Brown Act violation, but that the county council took the position that it was not. And so the Board of Supervisors followed their attorney's direction, the county council, and attended in a majority. So there's a difference between the district attorney and the county council, like disagreement there. I'm sure that's crystal clear to the public. Because it's not, it's, anyways. Are there any other questions? Councilmember Johnson? Yes, thank you. Um, as I recall, there's also, I don't know if it's the Brown Act or the Open Meetings Act. Um, meetings cannot, you can't charge to, to attend meetings, is that correct? The Brown Act does include a requirement or a prohibition against charging for Brown Act meetings. However, the, the six exceptions are exceptions to the Brown Act. Uh, so the Brown Act, and I think the language in, the, in those exceptions say that, they do not, that the Brown Act does not apply in those six situations. So um, it's my position that that, except, that limitation on charging does not apply. However, um, I think um, one thing, for example, that the city of Thousand Oaks did in their attempt to address, because that's one of the issues the district attorney has raised um, in these league, the city, uh, state of the city meetings. One thing that uh, Thousand Oaks did was um, they had it at a breakfast, I think, but then they created, they provided some free attendance seating. Uh, they didn't, they weren't entitled to the breakfast. They could just come and sit and watch the meeting. Uh, so that was one thing that they did just to take that issue off the table. Thank you, and if I may, I, as I recall, Santa Barbara had the same issue where they uh, wanted to have a state of the city that was hosted by their local chamber of commerce. And what they ended up having to do was uh, book a separate venue on short notice and bring in 500 chairs to make sure that it was open to the public. Um, and, and I just, you know, to go back to state of the city, you know, the past practice had always been that the mayor delivered the state of the city at a city council meeting. And I think the understanding then was if the mayor then goes on and gives the same speech, whether it's to the Lions Club or Rotary or the Chamber of Commerce or Cause, then, then that's great. But um, I hope we can return to doing that where the actual state of the city happens in an open and public meeting. Thank you, Mayor. Any other questions, comments? Mr. City Attorney, anything else? Uh, no, Mr. Mayor, we just, uh, this is just to re receive the Brown Act presentation, so thank you. Okay, on to item number 11, adoption of the 23-24 City Council Goals. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, if I may ask the City Clerk to bring up the PowerPoint slide deck for this item. Uh, a couple weekends ago, the City Council met uh, at the Museum of Ventura County to discuss the City Council goals. Out of that discussion were 12 goals that uh, we would come back to the City Council with uh, at this meeting, scheduled on February 13th, a date certain, uh, to ratify those goals. 
Uh, I want to go through just how we laid out uh, each of these. And if uh, the city clerk will pull that up. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to show this as an example because I think it's illustrative of the task that uh, uh, staff was asked to uh, complete as a result of the goal setting session. So uh, council will recall uh, the title up there in blue, develop a broadband master plan, that was the text as it was written uh, that morning when we did the goal setting session. What you see below that, the reference title, that's really just a, a shorthand uh, title that we will refer to that particular goal by. In this instance, they're very much the same, but as we go through the list, you'll see that it's quite a bit shorter than what is uh, written in the top bar. The, the Really, the main task for staff over the past two weeks was to develop a scope around each of these, each of these goals. Um, in this instance, there are three bullet points. Um, in this case, review proposals and improve the contract to engineer INET 2.0, review the previously adopted broadband master plan, and update the broadband master plan to incorporate the sci-fi agreement in the INET 2.0. Uh, what we're here tonight to do is to ask city council, did we hit the mark on what you were intending when you created those goals? And so for each of these 12, what we're hoping to garner feedback on is, did we hit the right scope? And if not, what should be changed? Out of tonight, after this is ratified, this is how the city council will evaluate your manager and your leadership team about whether we hit these by the milestone that's listed in under the deadline row there. Below that is an estimated cost, uh, as well as the lead department and supporting departments for each of these. Uh, Mr. Clerk, if we can skip forward to the uh, public works goal, I believe is goal number five. There we go. Thank you for bringing this up. Uh, I'm showing this again as an example of a goal that we're gonna need some more information to come back to you on. So for example, Mr. Nelson couldn't in two weeks develop a whole series of metrics with estimated costs and be able to share with the council, this is what it would take to get, I think the example we used a few Saturdays ago was uh, a paving condition index from 65 to 70. We can find out that number, but probably not in the eight days that we had to produce a packet by. So what's listed in the uh, what's listed in the goal is for us to come back to you with cost estimates and certain metrics to achieve, and for council to uh, take inventory of what those costs are and see what we can reasonably accomplish. So this is just an example of a goal that we would actually need to come back to you on and give you some more information. But we wanted to be responsive to the request. So for each of these twelve goals, uh, what we want to hear tonight from the council is: Did we hit the mark? And if we didn't, what are the things that the council would like to change? And we have the executive team here to answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, was your preference to take these one at a time? That would be ideal. Yes. Okay. Can you pull up the first council goal? Feedback from city council? Is this um, what we wanted to see? Oh, I'm sorry, am I supposed to take public comments? That'd probably be a good idea. Are there any public comments? Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. 
And my apologies as well. I wanted to go back uh, real quick and, and take full responsibility for missing the chat for our Brown Act presentation. We had a public speaker on our previous item for the Brown Act presentation. I wanted to allow them the opportunity to share their comments with us as well uh, on the previous item, number 10. And then I do have three speaker cards for this current item. Okay. Does that work for you? Move forward, please. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And my apologies to um, Mr. Overly. Mr. Overly, I'm gonna promote you now, and you can go ahead and address the council on item number 10. Okay, can you hear me, Michael? We can hear you, yes. Council, very sorry that I got uh, kind of off, off target here. Anyways, uh, Andy, I think that you did a great job. Thank you very much for that training. Can, I have a, a question, it's two part. Can you identify and describe the Washington DC violations for the public? And then can you contrast that with the state of the city address to the chamber by Mayor Sofia Rubacaba? If city business was discussed and questions were asked by attendees. The second question, is it the law that no decision is required to be a Brown Act violation when a majority of council is present discussing city business? And then I have one comment about the DA's office versus county council. Please remember the DA's office is the filing agency and he's the one that would make a decision on whether to file a violation against the city or not. County Council does not have that opportunity. And one final comment, citizens have a very limited opportunity to talk during council. I hope council does not take this action to limit their time. I think it backfired on the previous mayor. Thank you for your time. On item number 11, we have uh, Glenn Overly. Glenn, since you're on, go ahead and provide your public comment. Uh, I, I don't know how much you heard originally when I was talking during the public comment section, so let me kind of go over it off the top of my head. I attended that meeting and it was my understanding that you would talk about goals first, have a full on discussion, and then at the end of that, the citizens would be able to participate in comments and suggestions. So my suggestion is these are my top three goals. Number one is employee compensation. I think that should be the number one. I know it was discussed toward the end of the meeting as item number 12. I think that one should be moved to number one. It should be priority. The employees should be able to get competitive wages for whatever they're doing. Number two is homelessness. I think that's a good position for it. And the last one is I noticed during uh, during the goal setting that it was important to council to try and fix streets and repair sidewalks. And I can tell you that we participated in a program where we paid 100% of the money to get sidewalks repaired around our house when we were restoring our property and upgrading our landscape. So my suggestion is citizens pay taxes and that's part of paying taxes as you get those repairs at the infrastructure. However, a caveat would be, why not have a 50-50 partnership with citizens that are willing to repair sidewalks and curbing around their homes 
and you could do it as whatever the price for a linear foot repair would be. Citizens would pay half, city would pay half. Benefit, you'll get more sidewalks repaired, more curbing repaired. There'll be less trip hazards and lawsuits against the city. The overall aesthetics of the city will be greatly improved. Those are my comments for 11, thank you. Our next speaker is George Amendola. George will be followed by Maria Navarro. Hi, good evening, everyone. It's nice to see the uh, broadband master plan up on the slide as a discussion item. Michael, is it possible you could put that slide back up for a moment, please? Thank you. And um, I was not in attendance at the Saturday goal session meeting, but I received uh, a few phone calls from people who were in attendance. And I just want to... It's okay. I just want to thank uh, Council Member Bill McReynolds for driving the initiative of broadband. Uh, I think it will serve the community well. Thank you. I've been here since 2014 requesting that broadband be taken up as a council goal. And um, Council Member McReynolds, Council Member Johnson, thank you very much. And to all the council members who voted in favor of this. I also want to point out that um, another council goal that I read pre the other day when I first saw the publication was about undergrounding utilities, and I think that was the goal of Councilmember Halter. These two items coincide with one another, and I'll also point out Councilmember Halter was a member of the Visioning Committee, I believe, in 1999, and both fiber optics and undergrounding were stated goals within the, within the city's visioning statement. That goes back to the year 1999. And here we are addressing this now with a goal of 2024. So bureaucracy, the democratic process, it can be frustrating and I'm really glad to learn that I had the opportunity to use some explicatives and not be on violation of protocols. <laughs> Uh, I chose not to, although there were many times that I wanted to. And um, I want to thank you for putting this front and center. I think it will serve the community well. Um, I'm a little unsure what the $80,000 is for. Uh, in my opinion, and, and it's not a humble opinion, the um, Magellan study should service a lot of that that's already been paid for. It was uh, filed and received. I think you just need to dust it off, take a look at it, revisit it, and follow some of those recommendations, and maybe you could use some of that money elsewhere. Thank you, good night. Our next speaker is Maria Navarro, followed by Spencer Norin, followed by Elena Broca. Good evening, City Council. It's nice to see you all here and see some new faces in here as well. And first of all, I'd like to say, uh, uh, introduce myself. My name is Maria Navarro. I'm a policy advocate for COS. And I would like to say, Council Member Doug Halter, I am so glad that you're okay after what you shared with us earlier this evening. But, um, you know, as you know, we have been coming here for the last maybe two years, almost three years, uh, on behalf of a lot of tenants who um, live mainly on the west side but who are struggling with rent. And uh, for the last two years, we have been pushing and asking city council to 
consider rent stabilization and tenant protections to be part of um, you know, the priorities for the council. Um, earlier today, you heard Barbara speak. She actually, I just met her today and she called us a couple of weeks ago. Um, she was complaining because her rent went up 10%. Um, and a lot of people in that apartment complex where she lives, you know, they can't afford that kind of rent increase. Um, she had, she is very brave and courageous and it's almost never like, you know, organizing is part of, you know, asking people to share their story here. And this is a very intimidating space for many people. And so she was so brave today with her just like literally calling me and Christian and saying, I want to share my story. I want to share my story. And she already knew a lot about the Oxnard tenant protections, the Pasadena tenant protections that have just recently passed. Um, I routinely, I cannot tell you how many times I get phone calls like this. And very rarely do people just come up here and share their story. So for the one Barbara that was here today, there's probably 50, 60 tenants who feel exactly the same way in this city. Um, so we asked the city council consider talking about tenant protections this year, uh, especially because this has been kind of a conversation that has been in the margin and it's been getting pushed back and pushed back and it was in the housing element and it got pushed back again. And so, um, yeah, just saying that rent stabilization is and, and tenant protections in general have become more and more common. And very recently, Pasadena, a very, very similar size and kind of city that, like, very similar to Ventura, passed them. So uh, hopefully you will consider that. Um, and with the remaining time, I, I'd like to commend the comments from the groups of Manos Unidas that were made here today and also ask that interpretation and language equity be a goal for the city this year. Thank you. Our next speaker is Spencer Noren, followed by our final speaker, Elena Brokaw. Thank you, Michael. Good evening, Council, again. Quickly on the goal setting, didn't have a chance to go to. Thank you for making that public on a Saturday afternoon. I appreciate that. One was a short-term vacation rental ordinance. Glad to see that's on there. We really need to get this just in conformance to see how we can get some organization to our short-term vacation rental future. Thank you, Mr. Foley, for all the hard work you did. I'd like to see a few things briefly at the top of the list for me is climate change activism. Can we please tonight add some type of activism to show that this city respects climate change and what's happening to our globe every day? Find a way to increase the quality of life in our environment immediately, please. Uh, two more small notes coming off is a universal design plan. Everyone in this town wants to know what is up with the building and why does everything look different? We need a universal design plan. Is it Spanish style? Is it Mod Podge? What is it? You as leaders need to figure this out for us so we can stop just being this or that and no one knows. If we have a baseline, we can work off that. But currently there is no baseline for universal design plan. Third and, uh, third and last year, Parks and Rec, always for me. Mayor, for you, I see the biggest need in our goal is Marina Park and that zip line. Can we bring the zip line back in a liability form to really bring back a chance to play? The playground won't be there for another year. Ventura Water's using our park. Give a chance for the kids to play. Should be the top of our goal list. Thank you so much. And our next and final speaker is Elena Brokaw. Elena, you're being promoted now and you should be able to unmute yourself.
Hi, I think I am unmuted. Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. So, hi, council and staff. Um, it's great to not see all of you tonight, but to be here. First of all, I just want to thank you for doing what you do. Public service is arduous and never simple and usually pretty thankless. And I just want you to know that I appreciate that you're so generous with your time and choose to devote so much of it to making Ventura a richer place. So let's talk about how that richer place comes to be. I'm here tonight to speak, speak specifically about the goal to increase cultural unity events. I think all the priorities you identified in your workshop are important, but I can't speak to all of them because I am, I'm just not an expert on short-term vacation rentals or undergrounding utilities. I am, however, arguably an expert on cultural communities, and I know that enhancing the artistic depth of a region requires a leader that sees how investing a few dollars into the cultural ecosystem can create mammoth returns. And while I'm the director of a museum that you're talking about as your partner tonight, I'm here to talk about the community, the cultural community in general, and the leader that makes it possible. And that leader is you. The city of Ventura is that once-in-a-lifetime leader. So your support at this point as a leader will establish seed funding that can convince the private sector to support the arts. I can tell you that that is exactly what happened with the uh, lots of cultural initiatives I was lucky enough to be involved with while I worked at the city. So the Ventura Music Festival, for example, was started by the city in 1995 with a $15,000 investment. Earlier tonight, I looked on GuideStar, and in, in 2019, that investment had created an organization spending about $600,000 annually, an increase of about 400%. Public funding is a precious thing. I do not take for granted any of the funds that you spend on anything. Running a city is expensive. But luckily, while the cultural life of a city is critical, maintaining it is not as expensive as, say, resurfacing a mile of city roads. So, your goals are clear to create an environment that engenders more community gatherings and events. And the Museum of Ventura County, along with many other cultural organizations, is honored to be a part of that effort. And we just want to thank you for your leadership and support. Thank you. That concludes public comment on item number 11. <clears throat> Councilmember Halter. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. I just want to say first off is that uh, due to some of the announcements I made earlier tonight, um, I was unable to attend in person at the, uh, but at the uh, goal setting meeting. Um, but I, as you know, I gave my input far ahead of time and I'm very proud of my colleagues. Uh, I, I did watch the video and uh, make sure, see what transpired, see what I missed. I really, um, and I really felt you guys did a great job. And I'm very happy with what I see here. I have many questions, and we could take it one, well, not many, handful of questions, really. But if we take each goal separately, then in regards to broadband, which uh, is just um, one of the many uh, goals that we have, um, is just understanding exactly how what sci-fi is, is doing, how 
what we're going to do with our master plan, how that's going to tie together. And so that would be my, my issue is that if we say, if we work on something that's larger, that is a, a bigger plan of, uh, of getting broadband across the city, and what's that interaction with sci-fi? That would be my main question on that. But I'm glad it's the goal. Thank you. Madam Deputy Mayor. Thank you, Mayor. I just wanted to um, make clarification um, based on some of the comments that were made, if that's okay. Um, in regards to the this list of goals, it is not in any kind of priority list or priority setting. So I wanna make sure that people were clear on that. Um, so that way they're not thinking that we're leaving certain things all the way at the end and putting some others at the top. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Councilmember McReynolds. I was gonna take a crack at the first one. Are we ready to? Crack away. Okay, uh, so regarding uh, broadband, uh, I think some clarification, you know, kind of my personal belief is uh, broadband is the electricity of the 21st century. So it really comes into uh, some uh, social equity issues. So I would like to see that as part of this study that, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out how we're getting broadband, you know, particularly coming out of COVID, we realized how many kids didn't have it. You know, uh, we heard all the different stories of how they were trying to accommodate that. So I just want to make sure that's part of the plan uh, as we're uh, looking at it. Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, <coughs> Councilmember McReynolds. Um, and to that very point, the, the latter half of the third bullet there about bridging the uh, digital divide, that was one of the key uh, reasons that we felt the goal was introduced. Uh, I do want to address Councilmember Halter's question, if I may. If I can invite up Mr. Cameron and Mitchell for your benefit, the question again was how will sci-fi integrate with the broadband master plan? If I can make one other quick comment before he speaks. Uh, this goes for every single one of the slides. The estimated cost there, in this case, the 80,000. Um, we had about eight days to turn around these goals, and we had to do our best to figure out round math, order of magnitude for the council's benefit, what we think something might cost. So um, I'll say exercise a, a little bit of a grain of salt when you see these, but know that we tried our best in trying to produce something in a timely manner. So Mr. Cameron, take it away. Mayor, Deputy Mayor, uh, members of council, thank you again. Uh, in response to your question, the part of the, the analysis by the, the consultant we'd bring in would be you know, uh, conducting interviews with sci-fi just to fully understand the extent of their plans. Uh, obviously, they'd meet with staff to understand the, the phasing of the, of the project and incorporate that into their, their recommendation. So these, these two items would, would, would go hand in hand with one another. Mr. Nelson, did you have something to add, or? I have nothing to add, no. I think Mr. Cameron covered it very well. I'm okay. just here offering support. Um, I have no other council members who want to comment on that. Can I, <clears throat> in general, we're good with this goal? On to the second one. Thank you. City Council comments? Or do I, do I go out to the public on every one of these, Mr. City Clerk? Uh, so we have taken public comment for item 11, so we are back in the council deliberation uh, portion. Okay. Thank you. City Council, any comments on this or any improvement you want to make on this? Looking good. 
So, um, I'm sorry, Ms. Deputy Mayor. Thank you. I just have a question for clarification. Um, is the, uh, what is it called, rent stabilization um, plan within this homeless plan or is that in a different plan? Thank you, Madam Deputy Mayor. Uh, the council will recall uh, probably sometime in 2022 uh, which initiative to advance first, either the homelessness initiative or the tenant protections initiative. So through the housing element, um, the council endorsed the strategy to let's focus on homelessness in 2023 and then via the housing element focus on uh, tenant protection programs in 2024 for the council to consider at that time. And Ms. Zayer, if there's any piece of that I missed, feel free to come on up. Okay, thank you. Uh, Councilmember Halter. Great, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I just, uh, uh, again, uh, fantastic goal. Uh, I think that uh, for me, it, it would have been more um, uh, housing and the lack of affordability is a statewide problem. So I see homelessness or unhoused as a symptom of that lack of affordability as well as a lack of services or at least getting services to the right people in a timely manner. So I think uh, a transition plan to get people off, off the streets and into services and into homes uh, is interwoven in the housing element and interwoven in tenant protections and interwoven on um, in things such as policies like ADUs and junior ADUs, uh, which I understand is making a pretty good dent so far in our county. Uh, so I'm happy to see that actually taking, taking hold. Um, but so it's a little bit hard for me to separate out just the homeless plan because I think it's, it's, it's a symptom of the bigger problem and so I think if we recognize that, and what you have written down here, I think is a good, a good measurable uh, things that we could look at, but we have to, in unison, work on the policy that will address the, the, biggest, the bigger problem. Does that make sense? I'm not quite sure how I would change that without making that our entire focus. <laughs> Thank you, Councilmember Halter. Um, yeah, I think we all would agree that these two issues are very much linked. The, the challenge with this particular initiative is we are a participant, but we're not in the driver's seat of the homelessness plan. We are very much working in partnership with the county. It's part of a, a unified effort between uh, the county and three of the cities within the county. You'll notice in the estimated cost there at 25,000, the city's contribution of the $100,000 total, it's because we are one of net of four agencies that are participating. Um, and then I may have to invite you up to the speaker size here. Um, to my knowledge, we are a participant in that scope, but we're not necessarily in a position to, to drive the current scope because really it's a county-led effort. Um, but then I'll let you speak to the question that Councilmember Halter presented. Uh, thank you, Mr. Alicon, Councilmember Halter, um, uh, council members. So um, to your point, um, Councilmember Halter, the 
City Council adopted as one of its ongoing goals last year as a multi-year goal um, implementation of the housing element. And the housing element has many initiatives under it. Uh, ADUs is one of them, tenant protections is one of them, um, housing stock, affordability, inclusionary housing. Those are part of an eight-year plan that is continuing to be worked on. Um, that will be a multi-year process. And those items that you have brought up this evening will continue to be addressed through the implementation of the housing element. Uh, during the discussion about this year's goal setting, um, council wanted to specifically highlight the homelessness plan, even though it is included as an implementation item in the housing element, and highlight that it be completed this year. So it is one item we are tackling this year among many other implementation items that address homelessness and housing. We're on the same page, thank you. We are. So it is now 10 o'clock, so I'll entertain a motion from City Council to continue discussion after 10. Uh, Mr. Mayor, my apologies. Uh, it's a new item past 10 or a motion to continue the item past 11. So Got it. since we're on this item, we are good till 11. Okay. Sorry, Council Member Compost. Like Councilmember Halter, I think that there's a weakness in this particular goal because we need to look at the whole picture and address everything together. While, this, while the, the homelessness plan or program we're working on is in partnership with the county, we as a council can step up and do more about inclusionary housing tenant protections, and an overall viewpoint of what is happening in our city. And I say this not from someone with a fine house already paid for. I have lived this for the past five years. And until we all understand what's causing the homelessness, moving some unsheltered people in, at the same time throwing other people out, is not a solution. And I think we need to see a much bigger picture with this goal. Tonight's discussion may not do that, but I don't think we should limit this and say, no, don't look at tenant protections and don't look at inclusionary housing. Let's look at it all and do what we can beyond what the county's doing. Do you have particular language that you'd like to introduce into this? Well, I brought it up at goal setting we need to include in the homelessness initiative or the homelessness plan that we're preparing proper tenant protections for people whose landlords see an opportunity to kick them out and make more money and other, other ways that that happens. We need to guarantee that we're not moving people out of a unit just so we can put an unsheltered person in which appears to be happening in some areas in our city. And we need to protect low income and, and very low income people from not being able to afford to live here. Because they're the ones, you know, we don't want to go to restaurants one day and have no one serving the meal. Mr. Ali Khan. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, Councilmember Campos. Uh, I think everything that was discussed, those are all laudable goals that I think the council um, wants to see not only implemented, or not only executed, but implemented. Uh, 
the challenge, and I want to refresh the council on the conversation that we had a couple weekends ago, but the, the, the preamble to that entire discussion was about capacity and that acknowledging that if we want to introduce new things, we got to figure out what we want to take off that list. And in this instance, it, it's going to land squarely on community development, which has no shortage of other initiatives to tackle right now. So we, what we tried to do is we tried to segment these in a digestible, uh, I'll say realistic fashion such that we could you know, tackle them one initiative at a time. The other thing that I, I want to highlight is uh, what, we, what we're seeing across the county is kind of a patchwork of different approaches to addressing homelessness. The reason why this was, um, we embarked upon this in partnership with the county was so that we could have a coordinated effort. Because I know there was a desire a few weekends ago to um, uh, implement things sooner than before this plan would be ready. And I, you know, back then I, I cautioned the council about um, really letting, letting the plan, we're working in lockstep with the county, letting the plan uh, get developed. We're working quickly to do that. It'll be ready later this summer. And then from that, that sets your blueprint about um, the initiatives that the council can undertake in coordination with its partners. So uh, I offer that just to be mindful of, not to say that any one of these things aren't important, but just to be mindful of our capacity, particularly in the community development department. Thank you. Councilmember Johnson, followed by Councilmember Duran. Thank you, Mayor. As for, for what's on the screen, I, I think it's critical that we uh, engage in this process that we cooperate with the county. Um, we have uh, not done a good job collaborating and corroborating, cooperating with our uh, partners in the county. And so that's, it's critical that we do that. We, whatever progress we make, we can't really make it without working hand in hand with the county. Uh, Mr. Alicant your, your um, concerns about capacity. Uh, you and I have talked about this but council approved a housing element. Um, it is not, has not been approved by the state, so we have been violating state law for over a year now on this one. Um, but it includes a lot of very ambitious programs, and council committed to all those programs, and we've never seen uh, what the costs would be over the next three, four, five, ten years, and some of them are incredibly costly. Um, and Mr. Alicon, as I've shared, I think council needs to uh, see what the price tag is on these things that we did commit to. I will note that while the state has not approved our housing element, our policy, according to our former city manager and former community development director, was to continue operating as though it had been. Uh, I bring this up because, of course, a couple weeks ago, uh, we submitted a revision of our housing element to the state. It was simply posted online for a week and then sent off to HCD. And we're waiting to hear back from them. I will note that many of the changes to the housing element that were made by staff um, were more than minor. They were, they were changes in, the, in when these programs were going to come online. We committed to certain programs that we were supposed to have started last year that we haven't even begun talking about. So we've got to, council needs to know what did we commit to in this housing element, the timelines and the costs. That should have been part of the discussion around the housing element in the first place. 
And one reason I voted against the housing element was because it was not. And last, especially when it comes to tenant protections, which I believe is one that has been pushed off, I, I will remind my colleagues and staff and, and make sure my new colleagues know that in April of last year, we had a policy consideration. And there were a couple parts of that. One of the points of the policy consideration of April and last year, council unanimously directed staff to start work on a rental registry. We're coming up on a year. I hope we don't have to wait another year to see some progress on what council directed staff to do on a rental registry. If that's not going to happen, and my new colleagues may wish that it not, then that needs to be agendized, and my colleagues need to vote on whether or not to continue with that or to kill it. Thank you. Councilmember Duran. If I'm not mistaken, um, everything, thank you, Mr. Mayor, um, every, just about everything that Council Member Compos shared is things that you're working on right now. That, that's what I heard you say, correct? Thank you, Councilmember Duran. They are items that are in the housing element as implementation items that are to occur over the next eight years. So the housing element is is basically an eight-year program. Um, all of the items are, uh, that are listed in that housing element cannot all happen with staffing resources in the first year. And so the state does recognize that those are processes in, in um, uh, a city to be able to work on those. Uh, there was a discussion, as Mr. Ali Khan mentioned, um, where council did discuss bringing the homelessness plan uh, uh, up forward in the timeline, um, and then there was a discussion of moving the tenant protections uh, in the timeline to adjust doing that first. Our housing services division uh, would not be able to have the cap capacity to work on both of those large initiatives at the same time. Thank you so much. And so I, I, I ask that because the plan will include a yearly report to the council on the progress services provided and individuals served. I, I believe this is a good goal because when we get that report at the end of this year, that will really help us determine where we need to spend our energies, where we need to spend our, our resources. I think, I think this is good. I mean, we're working on things. This is gonna bring us to a place to we know what direction we're headed. The, you know, that Saturday of the goal setting, I had a list of things I wanted to deal with with homelessness, but you know, this makes sense. Thank you, Mr. McReynolds. In regards to capacity of the community development, uh, can you remind me of the current, uh, where we are with staffing? Yeah, I'll invite Ms. Zaire up since she'll probably get the numbers more accurate than I. Uh, thank you, Councilmember McReynolds. Um, as it relates to housing services, which is the team that manages uh, would manage the tenant protections and the homelessness plan. They also manage all of our CDB programs, our home programs, our grant funding that comes in that is distributed in the city. They manage the, uh, in collaboration, the ARC shelter, the foul weather shelter, a number of other initiatives. Um, they have the housing services manager, which was a reallocation of the safe and clean manager um, and all of those tasks and items that came. Uh, and then they have three staff members in community development Development. There is one vacancy and then one other position we are trying to also reall reallocate to assist them. What is the current situation of staffing overall in community development? 
Um, currently, we have um, a vacancy in the community development director, planning manager, um, senior plans examiner. We have three planners coming on board this month where we've had a vacancy. Um, and then we have the vacancy in housing services. So I'm looking at the goal, I'm on page 13 of the staff report. So we have general plan update, which is only 30% complete. We have the housing element, which is 20% complete. We have the matrix report, which is 40% complete. We have the coastal management, which I'm assuming you're involved in, but I, it doesn't actually provide it. Yeah, between the initiatives that community development is carrying over from 2022 to 2023, uh, the majority of them fall within either um, the director shop, planning, or housing services. That's doing the general plan amendment, housing uh, element certification and implementation, which includes the inclusionary housing ordinance, um, the homelessness plan, rezone of the sites that were identified in the housing element, the form-based code overlay um, as some of the major initiatives, and then the LCP amendment as it relates to the general plan update, to name a few of those. I, I'm fine with the goal as presented, but any additional scope creep is you know, beyond what we've already got these folks doing. I find moving towards excessive and unrealistic in terms of their ability to deliver it in the time that's laid out here. Okay. So, um, what say ye on on this goal then? Are we up or down? Up, down, up, up, three up, four up. Okay, a majority are up, so it'll keep it this way. Um, I, I hope we heard a lot of the comments and we'll do our best to attack those issues as well. If I could just say that, um, what, what, knowing that we're, we all understand the complexity and how things are interwoven, and we stay aware of as time permits, we're able to move forward on other pieces uh, that complete the puzzle. Um, then I, I agree with moving forward with what we have. The only thing is that you're going to hear me say a couple more times tonight that um, some of these goals are overlapping, and this one is for sure. And it is, again, the state's biggest problem. It didn't happen overnight. It happened over many decades. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor, and, and, and I just want to say thank you to my colleagues who are serving on the HOPE subcommittee. I look forward to hearing your recommendations on on these things um, because there's a lot of work to do. And um, and it's great that we have three people who are really willing to dig into it and make recommendations to the city council. And so thank you for your service on that. Okay, move on to the next goal, please. Comments? Councilmember Halter. This is one of them that's overlapping for me. Uh, it overlaps with uh, what I perceive to be fire goals and also with our infrastructure goals, but that's okay. It's all good. It means we're, we're cohesively trying to make it all work. Is um, I see 
at a point in time that we are trying to do everything we can to be green and to do the right thing for climate change. Um, it kills me to see diesel power generators being approved for the shutdowns that we experience on the hillside. So working, working in conjunction with at Southern California Edison to minimize those shutdowns and minimize the risks so we don't have to have the shutdowns for the energy that we need to live. Uh, I have a feeling may go a long ways towards reaching the goals that we all seem to be striving for. Along with that, when we talk about infrastructure improvements, which is gonna be a few down the road here, but I'll say it now so I don't repeat it, is um, uh, we said everything about sidewalks and transportation uh, and public works, but just because trees are in a different department doesn't mean they're not part of the climate change solution and not part of the infrastructure improvements. So the urban forest, I think, really should be a part of this, uh, whether it's included here under green technology, whether it's included in um, the infrastructure improvements. Those are my comments. Mr. McReynolds. I just want to reiterate my sentiments regarding community development. Uh, I'm glad to see that Public Works is lead on this, and the city's uh, economic development group, but I'm very leery of them using community development's time to do this. We've got some massive initiatives that they should be working on, and I'm not looking to add more to their plate. Thank you. Ms. Campos. I think that the CARP is what's kind of being ignored here. The Climate Action and Resilience Plan is critical for us to address. As Councilmember Halter mentioned, trees. Yesterday, no, uh, Friday in the city of Los Angeles, a judge s blocked the city from cutting down any more trees because they're removing older trees, fixing sidewalks, and planting young trees. And that judge recognized, because of scientific argument, that trees are what is going to save humans. And taking old trees out takes away the environment for birds, insect species, humans, other plants. You, you, can't, you can't leave this out, this climate action plan. And although it's over time, our, our county has stepped up and is planting two million trees. Why don't we say that this year we'll plant 2,000 trees? Let's put some action into the words action plan. I, I tried to say these things. I tried to speak at the goal setting. I don't know how many of you noticed that the consultant felt it was okay to stand to stand with his back to me. So Councilmember Johnson had to raise his hand so I could speak. And this is very critical, and I wasn't given an opportunity to mention it there. But we need to start planting trees, not just think, green technology has to do with building. Madam Deputy Mayor. Yeah, uh, my colleague, Councilmember Campos, zeroed in on that, because I think when I read green technology incentives, I think of just building EV charge stations. I'm not, it, like, I, maybe that needs to be clarified a bit, that it's beyond just green technology, but it, it really is a, a climate action plan that um, 
you know, we need to consider and not just limit it to that. Councilmember Johnson, how's that cramp doing? <laughs> well, actually, Mayor, thank you for asking. Um, I'll make my comments and then I, I will excuse myself. Okay. My apologies to my colleagues and the members of the public. Um, I'm not on my game right now. Uh, I, I, I want to say with regards to this goal, I, I really appreciate what Mr. McReynolds put forth. I, and I think I've spoken in the past that I, I really think we should look at uh, a reach code, electrification of new construction. I, I don't know that that would have the support of all the council. I, I think that what Mr. McReynolds proposed specifically um, when it comes to providing incentives at low cost to the city that would encourage the use of green technology in new and existing construction, I, I think it's great. Um, I do think there is a lot more we can do. I am looking forward to the Climate Action and Resiliency Plan and the long-awaited Energy Action Plan, which um, should include things like what we are doing um, as a city. So there's two different things. The Climate Action Resiliency Plan is looking far forward and it includes things like mitigating sea level rise. The energy action plan that was supposed to come to council, um, that is a plan that is supposed to include things that the city can do in the short term. Things such as electrifying our fleet wherever possible. Um, finding ways for, um, to encourage uh, staff members, for example, not to drive their cars. Um, and, I, and I've spoken about this, but you know, for example, and I'll, I'll leave on this, um, you know, when we look at these things, and I hope they, they come through, um, when we look at an energy action plan for the city, I was really looking forward to having a discussion about what is really the shadow fleet of the city. We have the cars and trucks, and the, the fire trucks and the hook and ladder truck and, and all these vehicles that are maintained by fleet and facilities. We have another shadow fleet, and that is the uh, battalion of cars that show up at, at City Hall, at San Juan, at police and fire headquarters. And there are things we can do as a city to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions um, from those, and, and as well as encourage walking. And so um, I hope, for example, one of the things that we could talk about when an energy action plan comes back. Um, I, I will suggest that, that we find a way to um, provide city employees an incentive not to park at city facilities, to, to commit to using some other form of transportation, and a, and a rather generous monthly cash out. Um, the idea, of course, would be, you know, if somebody is making a, a good monthly payment for, for not driving a car, it can make it much easier for them to live in the city of Ventura. And then maybe a, a, a two-person family, let's say, of, of young professionals can get by with one car. And it would also be a way to, when we get to, a, when my colleagues get to the issue about um, keeping staff, it would be a way of helping us make sure that the staff that we have uh, sees value living in the community as well. And so with that, Mayor, I, I apologize, but I must go. Thank you. Councilmember McReynolds. Uh, hearing uh, 
Councilmember Campos and Councilmember Halter's comments. Can we add as a supporting department the urban forestry group out of uh, the Parks and Rec Department as part of this so that, you know. Do you have any issues with that? I, I guess I, I would want clarification on what we would want um, that support group to do in terms of the items on this list. And to your to your earlier question, Councilmember McReynolds, because it was a good one uh, regarding community development. Um, Ms. Zare can correct me, but I think the reason they were on this list is only because they are the department responsible for producing the conditions. And so the uh, program that you described a couple weekends ago those are the kinds of things that we would identify through project conditions, which community development department would be responsible for, for handing over. I don't know if there's anything beyond that that the community development staff would be uh, included in, but Netta, you could maybe uh, elaborate. Thank you, Mr. Alakan and council members. If I can clarify just a couple of the items quickly. Community development's listed uh, here for a couple of reasons. One, we are um, currently managing the Climate Action and Resiliency Plan um, that we received grant funding and have been in managing and um, working with the consultant Ramey and Associates in developing that plan. I wanna be very clear in response to um, Councilmember Johnson's comments that when that came uh, before City Council previously about the Climate Action and Resiliency Plan as it relates to the Energy Action Plan, staff said we were looking at both of those and we didn't know if they were going to be incorporated in as one document, two standalone documents, um, or attach as an appendency. I uh, want to be clear that the Energy Action Plan has been incorporated into the Climate Action Plan, so Council will see one plan that incorporates all of the um, outreach discussion and initiatives that both of those efforts were, um, were addressing. That did go out for public comment. We received a lot of public comment. We are going through those comments, and that will be coming to City Council for your consideration in spring. Um, what's decided out of these green uh, technologies, community development will partner if those are incentives for waiving or extending fees or things of that nature in developing those processes and implementing them as needed. I appreciate that. My comment is more to the other departments, like uh, in terms of that they try to focus your time and, and be respectful of it and allow the other initiatives to, to go forward. You know, in regards to the uh, urban forestry, you know, I, I think bringing them in where appropriate in terms of the, uh, as, as we were saying, incentives for green technology, you know, I think you're absolutely correct. It's not just solar, it's not just, you know, car chargers, it's, you know, maintaining trees, relocating trees, uh, planting trees, you know, so how they can, you know, what best practices they're seeing, you know, um, probably not as cool as city clerk world. I learned about that today, this evening, you know, it's pretty cool, but you know, maybe urban forestry can bring in some of their, you know, best and brightest ideas. Thank you. I, that was, uh, yeah, I, I think I'd like to, to be able to capture the urban forestry as it relates to what we're trying to do, um, where appropriate um, and where it can be conducive to ensuring that we meet our goals. Okay, um, does, uh, if I can ask staff, does uh, CARP normally consider uh, those issues? 
Yes, it does. Okay. The Climate Action Resilience Plan has a variety of implementation. Um, urban forestry is one of, uh, of many of those items too. Okay, are we, are we good to go? Mr. Mayor, if I may just clarify, the, the direction then would be to add urban forestry to the supporting department list and then, um, and then through the CARP, we would identify uh, urban forestry initiatives to bring back in front of the council. Okay. Okay. Are we now good with this one? Good. <laughs> Councilmember Halter, how are you? Are we good with this one? Okay. Okay, we're good. Let's go to the next one. Questions? Okay, thumbs up on this, good. Next one, please. City Council members, are you running to the speaker queue? There you go, Mr. McReynolds. I just want to say, I mean, the last report I saw, there was 35,000 people dead in Turkey and Syria. I mean, I, I get that the 1231 date is that, you know, but the sooner we can get this, the better. That's really my comment. Councilmember Campos. I, I want to see coming out of this real, um, real specific direction to our communities and venture is really several communities strung together. We need clear-cut evacuation information in each of them. They're all different, but they each need to know what's going to happen in those emergencies, earthquakes, fires, floods. Councilmember Halter. Okay. Um, uh, written as disaster response in public education, it's good. Um, I guess I... I want to make sure that the ed education includes things like uh, hardening homes, uh, defensible space, obviously evacuation routes. Um, I would hope and wish that it would include things like prevention, other prevention measures such as fire buffers. Uh, we know citrus was a great buffer during the Thomas fire. Um, uh, redundancy for water. Um, uh, let's see, that's just a few things off the top of my head. But otherwise, um, again, a, another great goal and something measurable. Madam Deputy Mayor. Thank you. I don't want to assume, so I will state it, um, that I'm hoping this would also include bilingual education. I, I think that's a, I that better be a fair assumption. There. Yes. <laughs> it's Campos. And that that education includes CERT training na in neighborhoods. Okay. Any other comments? Are we good with this one? Good. Next one, please. This is what I call meat and potatoes, right? Comments from anyone? Um, Thumbs up? One comment, Joe? 
or uh, Mr. Mayor. Councilmember Halter, that's all right. Is, okay. Um, just that because it came up again with some of our comments from our, from the public is um, the the sidewalk plan, the 50-50 uh, split, which uh, I was very in favor of when you, when the city first started it years ago. I know it hasn't been highly utilized. I think it has to do with educating, and I love the idea of leveraging money. Anything we can do to leverage money and have a win-win situation. So I would hope that we wouldn't eliminate that program as we get into budgeting, but just find a way to better educate across the community uh, the win-win situation that we're creating. That's it. Um, <laughs> Mr. Public Works, we tried that and we couldn't get many bites. Is that what? We didn't get many. I don't recall the exact number. We didn't get the turnout we had hoped. Uh, we did visit all the community councils, social media, uh, city website, but we can continue to promote it. The program will stay in place until your council decides not to continue it. So we're still planning to continue the program. Uh, you did give us permission uh, near the end of a given fiscal year that if that money hadn't been used, to be able to use it uh, for projects in public works um, for sidewalks and for that intention. So we've been doing that. All that money is going into sidewalks. And we have what in um, this year's budget that we're in right now, from uh, was it 800,000 to a million dollars for sidewalk repair? This year we have about a half a million. And most years we'll have a CIP. This year we didn't uh, have as big a CIP for sidewalks. Um, but between what we originally started with and what was added to with this program Councilmember Halter described, it's a little over a half a million. Thank you. Any other questions or issues? Oh, I'm sorry, Councilmember Campos? If, if um, I don't know what, how much is in the budget or where this kind of budget comes from, but if a traffic study could be done, I, I would like to see it citywide, but if it needs to be limited to areas, some of these areas that the public comments were about tonight seem to be very serious, and it may be time that we do a new study because of the growth of the population. I, I took some notes. Uh, thank you, Councilmember Campos. I took some notes on that. I'll be getting with Mr. Herford in the morning. Uh, it's a separate budget. We do have money set aside for performing traffic studies. A citywide one would be very expensive and timely, but we do uh, very focused ones when we have areas of concern like this. Councilmember Halter, did you have something else? Okay. Are we good with this one? Okay, thumbs up, good. Next one, please. Councilmember Halter. Yeah, um, Mr. Mayor, um, one, uh, this one uh, makes me extremely excited to see as one of our goals. I know it may not make some or everyone, but the reason being, for many reasons, I just want to make sure that people understand that um, in a city that values our environment, where we have all this natural beauty around us, and we're one of the oldest cities in California, to not have thought 60 years ago, as many cities our age did, to start undergrounding our utilities on a percentage basis each year uh, is a major oversight. San Francisco now has over 60% of their utilities underground because they did so at 1% a year. 
along with that, seeing utility lines going through the natural beauty of our ocean and islands or driving down our streets. Uh, not to mention the most important thing now more than ever is the fact that those overhead lines and transformers cause hundreds of homes to burn. So anything we could do to help get those out of the way of causing another fire, there's more reason today than ever to underground ut our utilities. And along with that, it goes hand in hand with broadband and giving opportunities for that and hand in hand with infrastructure improvements, which the better we take care of our public spaces, the more people want to invest in their own private property and the more people will want to bring their businesses here. So this one really does excite me and I see, all I can say is that if there's something more concrete to, to hold on to, it would be a, a plan on how we're going to prioritize the fees that we already pay into our utility bills to do undergrounding. And if there's, for instance, if there's um, assessment districts that certain neighborhoods want to, want to do, uh, again, that's leveraging funds, perhaps they become higher up on a priority list for use of those funds. For, I don't know if you remember 15 to 20 years ago, we used to have, Liz probably, or I'm sorry, Councilmember Kempels uh, probably uh, remembers when we had the telephone poles on the avenue, not just had one or two reins of wires, but had like 10 rows of wires going up. So when you mentioned earlier tonight that the avenue is over electrified already, I have no doubt. The industry that used to be on the avenue, and some still is, uh, required a significant amount of energy. And now a lot of that fortunately is underground uh, and, and out of a way from where I would want to plant a tree so that it won't get in the way of planting trees. Okay. Council Member Campos. So one thing we learned with how we undergrounded the wires on the avenue was um, we, we're having now to have trees removed by Edison when they come to do maintenance. So if we can include in this plan a study to make walkable sidewalks the trees on one side, the undergrounding on the other, to protect us in the future from, it's very expensive to go through all that. Yeah, that makes sense. It, um, I think I was told with the city manager today from Southern California Edison that it's $3 million a mile for minimum cost to underground utilities. And that's if it's flat and nothing's in the way and it can be up to, I think, $6 million a mile is what they were telling us. I might add, though, Mr. Mayor, if I may, that $3 million a mile is about one and a half houses that you're to replace yep. if they burn. Okay. Okay. So we're good with this one? Good. Next. Did I miss somebody? No. Mr. McReynolds? Say, I think this is an opportunity for us to bring the urban forestry also in. Uh, based on Councilmember Campos's comments, that we should figure, you know, bring them in to this conversation also. Okay, we're still good with it. STVRs. Thumb up. Good. Or, or just, just beware of community development's time. That's all I ask. Well, we have this. Yes. The lead department on this is city attorney, but I, I get the strategic creep, right? Okay, we're good. Thumbs up. Good. Next. Customer service plan. 
Questions from City Council? Thumbs up? Thumbs up? Good. Next one, please. Uh, potential changes to the city charter. City charter. <laughs> city charter. I hope um, uh, Councilmember Johnson's standing up right now, not cramping. So, um, <laughs> any questions? Yeah, you turn your mic on. Please. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, just entertain me for a minute on tell me what I, I know why I would want to support this, but what precipitated the conversation? I don't remember seeing that on the videotape. There were several issues that were brought up. Um, um, I'm trying to. Council uh, comp changes. Oh, oh, gotcha. Okay, perfect. Charter officers, yeah. So we're in sync. Perfect. Thank you. Mr. McReynolds? Uh, yeah, my concern is timing on this one. I mean, this is a really fast turnaround. I mean, if it can be broken up into two, yeah, I, I, I would be fine with that. I just, uh, there's a lot of stuff that we need to get done, and I just want to make sure that we do it right. Yeah, I would encourage um, the executive team to come back to us with some information probably in the next 60 to 90 days to say, what's it going to take to get this done on a chronology so that we understand um, how much is involved in this? Right now, I know, I know, uh, I don't know that much about the entire charter amendment process. Mr. Mayor, if I, if I may, since that was my date, um, the, the goal was to come back by June 30. Are you saying that you want it to be sooner? We, we, we were coming back by June 30 with, with that timeline, the process, with some proposals for what the steps would look like going forward. That was kind of what I, I just know you have a clock ticking on this one that, you know, because you're working with the county in terms of their uh, elections mm -hmm. on top of that. So I just know that it's a tall order. It's not to have I'm the, saying you're not on top of it. I just, yeah. <laughs> it's a tall order. It's not to have the amendments ready. It's just to bring back a report to the council on next steps, what you want to do and provide you some more detail. Mr. Mayor, you want that to be sooner? Well, I, I think um, if you're going to make char charter amendments, you have to tie it in with a countywide election. Which Is would, that right? Ballot? It'd have to be November 24. November of 24. So um, when do you have to then have the language for all that ready to get on a ballot? Six months before it's that? June of 2024. Okay, so if if we say come back to us in for the November 24 election and do that by June 30 of this year, in your opinion, will that give us enough time to meet the the ballot chronology? That would give us enough time. And even if you decided to do a wholesale charter amendment and set up a committee and all that, that would still provide us a year for that process. Okay. So noted. Um, Madam Deputy Mayor? Yeah, and on that note, I just wanted to state that, I mean, the charter amendment could be one or two things. It does not have to be a long list of items that we want to amend. So it could be as long or as short, but my two cents anyway. Okay. Are we good with this one? Thumbs up? Good. Next one, please. Mr. Mayor, I got it comment on this Please. one and this is one of the few times um, 
This is probably, I think Ms. Brokaw hit it right on the head as she normally would. If you know her, you know that she usually does. Is being the, the key area that I've spent most of my life as a citizen of this community is helping to develop the creative talent and make that viable here. Um, the benefits to this community from a quality of life and the attraction for businesses to come here or be created here has I've seen in the 38 years now that I've been here, um, it come back many, many, many fold. Um, when we talk about tourism, I want to make sure to say this again, is that we're not about creating, I'm not about creating tourist jobs, you know, because they're usually lower paying. But what tourism does for Ventura is allowing people to enjoy and see why we so, we're so passionate about our community, but it gives us the economies of scale to have things here what, that we may not otherwise be able to have. So things like, as Elena or Ms. Brokaw had mentioned, whether it's a music festival, uh, I've been, I had been very fortunate to be able to be involved with or started several nonprofits over the last 38 years, and that was one of them I was involved with in the very beginning. But Ventura without the music festival, without the cultural district of downtown, without the support of the live musicians and uh, the master chorale, and without Rubicon or without the botanical gardens, would be a very, very different Ventura than what it is today. And I know a large part about what we love about Ventura includes that creative entrepreneurial talent that exists here and that we're so proud to showcase here. So anything we could do to, we have managed, one final thing, is we have managed to be very, very lucky to have passionate people in this community to help make these things happen with very, very, very little support from the city. So anything we could do to pave the way, if not, if not send limited financial resources at least make it easier for these entities to be created and to grow and to prosper um, it's not just about events and when you talk about main street moves for instance to me one of the largest benefits about main street moves is we now have for the first time a plaza in the heart of our city that we don't have to constantly close down every time we want to have an event whether it's Rotary or the Lions Club or Iguana, uh, uh, well, I was going to say Iguanas, I was in Guatemala, but uh, <laughs> Iguanas, is that, yeah, uh, whatever group, if they want to do uh, an event, it's much, much easier when you have a plaza that's already available to them. So uh, I love the fact that um, my colleagues helped put this on our goals. And other than something more measurable, um, something more connected to the cultural district um, and Main Street moves. I don't know how else to make this goal a better goal, knowing that we have so much on our plate. Okay. Councilmember Duran. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. When we originally um, stated this goal, it was increase uh, community events, which turned into increase cultural unity events, which is great. But what, I, what we didn't talk about was the $100,000 contribution to the Museum of Ventura County. And um, so when I saw this, I was a little, hmm, wait a minute. Um, 
wh why are we doing this right now? Why are we committing to this when we haven't even gone through the budget process yet? I think, I think that we should really take a look at this and say, you know, let, let's not commit to that $100,000. Let's wait till we go through the budget process um, just because there's a lot of, it's a, it's a big chunk of money. If I'm not mistaken, um, we as as a city have given them over a million dollars already. And I'm, I'm just saying it's, we should probably take that part off of it so we can actually have that discussion during budgeting. Okay, Councilmember Campos. Um, as mentioned previously with one of the other items, we need to make sure that these events include opportunities and um, language interpretation for other, um, other cultures because the whole point was to create unity. So if there's not Spanish interpretation or in some parts of our town, Polish or Russian interpretation, then we're failing to do anything to increase cultural unity. If I could add, sorry, this is one of my very passionate areas, <laughs> is um, not only just that, uh, Councilmember Campos, but many opportunities exist as such as things like producing a performance like In the Heights, which highlights the Latino, the Hispanic culture, or Eight Misbehaving, which highlights the cultural aspects of the black American experience, or what we're just going through right now with um, Jell uh, uh, Jellis Jones, uh, it, uh, all Rubicon Productions, that is now uh, up for an Irish Tony Award, okay? So that sort of quality is amazing. So highlighting cultures, but it is through the arts and is through learning our history that it connects all of us as human beings. So it's a very, very important part to a sustainable and healthy community. Mr. City Manager, are you good with the feedback? Uh, I would just want clarification on the three bullet points in front of you. Really what this is gonna do, it's gonna inform the proposed budget we put in front of the council. So it, it, I, I need firm feedback if the direction is to leave as is or modify it. I was, I was just uh, mentioning, I would need feedback from the council whether to leave the text as is or to modify. Yeah. And so if I can, for, uh, I'm not speaking for Councilmember Duram, his suggestion was that he's not saying no to the $100,000 contribution, he just wants to make sure that finance, um, audit, and budget committee gets uh, a whack at that? That is correct. How's the rest of the city council feel on that? Agree. Good with that? Okay. So we will include that in the proposed budget and then that'll be uh, discussed at FAB initially and then at council. Okay. okay. Are we ready to go thumbs up? Good. Next. Mm -hmm. Any questions on this one or is this a quick thumbs up? There's no doubt. Okay, thumbs up, thumbs up.
urban forest. <laughs> Okay, so um, are we done? Is it, was that the last goal? Okay, so do we now need a motion, Mr. City Clerk, to approve the 12 beyond the thumbs up that what we are doing? That's right, so yes, the recommendation before council this evening is to adopt the 2023-2024 city council goals and to direct staff to program the resources needed in the proposed budget. I'll entertain a motion. I'll I'm move. Good. Moved and seconded. Second. Any other comments? Let's vote. Okay, on the motion for item number 11, Councilmember Duran? Yes. Councilmember McReynolds? Yes. Councilmember Johnson is absent. Councilmember Halter? Yes. Councilmember Campos? Yes. Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios? Yes. And Mayor Schrader? Yes. Six ayes and the motion carries. Okay, so we've, we're at um, 5 to 11, so I know I need a motion to go on to the next item. So we probably have an option here. So I think uh, one option would be to roll on and get this done, or the other one would be to handle this through FAB. Um, Mr. Morley, are you... Sorry, Mr. Mayor, you're asking what my preference is? <laughs> Are you okay with it, with, e with either option? I think I know your preference is to get the dog done tonight. We're, we're positioned and ready to talk about PERS or pension whenever it's convenient for the council. Okay, City Council, what would you like to do? you have a preference? I'd like to continue it to the FAB, have the FAB take a look at it. Are we okay with that, gang? Okay. I, I, I want to apologize. I know you're hanging until 11 o'clock, and then we, it, it um, so I hope you understand. It's no problem. Completely okay. understandable. Thank you. Um, Mr. City Clerk, do I move to the city uh, public communications now? Uh, that's right, Mr. Mayor, and we have no additional public comments at this time. Okay. Um, Dedication of the meeting, is that what we handle now? We do, yes, and I have two adjournments here, one for Sharon Harrison and the second for Pastor Roger Nolan. Okay. And is that it for tonight? That concludes our business this evening. So um, the Deputy Mayor wants me to establish when the next meeting, say when the next meeting is? February 27th, for all those who are listening to this. So meeting adjourned. <laughs>